But mm-hmm. if the system, if the business model is still the same, like I said, it, you, it doesn't matter who you plug into these positions. It, it, it's irrelevant. Professional wrestling superstar, champion, entrepreneur, author, and show host. Feed you more interviews, more stories, more information, and more laughs than ever before. <laughs> Conversation with the big, the big guy, Ryback, starts now. Welcome to Conversation with the Big Guy, Ryback. I am the big guy, Ryback. And today I got with me a UFC champion, UFC Hall of Famer, WWE Tag Team, and Intercontinental Champion, 1998 King of the Ring, and the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. How you doing? I'm, I'm good, brother. Thanks for having me on, man. No, this is, uh, this is really cool for me. I, I started doing this show a couple years ago, and I never wanted to do interviews for the longest time. I just I had fun with it, and then it kind of just evolved for me where I really wanted to start talking to other people. And I had my buddies on from time to time and whatnot, and people in health and fitness and, and from pro wrestling and from, from you know the fight world, just everything, getting different people on here. And I saw you actually, an interview with you with Ed Milet, and I follow Ed on Instagram, and, and God, your story is just unbelievable. And for me growing up yeah. watching you and being a fan of you uh, in de- from from WWF back in the day, and and from fighting, it's uh, it's a privilege to be able to sit down and talk to you. Yeah, it was awesome. I tell you that Ed Milet was a, a great interview, and uh, I tell you, uh, Ed was. Uh, I tell you, just his story alone too, the way he uh, had to uh, get himself into position to have all the success he had and the obstacles he had to go uh, overcome too. So it was awesome to be able to sit down and, and talk with him and be able to share my story and his story. So it was really a great time. Yeah, no, that was the thing I when I watching that and you know, Ed with Ed's story, was he did he end up having a, a career ending baseball injury with him? Is was that the thing for him as far as baseball goes where he stopped? Yeah, I'm not sure how de- how deep he was into it, but I know that that he he had a uh um he was he was definitely looking at sports and and he, his love for sports, and it just ended for him for with his, with that shoulder injury and stuff. So um, he had to completely um, you know think in a different direction. And my my story was kind of similar to that too because I wanted to be a professional football player. Yeah. I mean, my whole life I grew up wanting to do that, and I broke my neck, and all of a sudden things changed for me and. And I had to take different directions, uh, and so I ended up being a professional fighter. Uh, didn't really follow the the one that I originally started with, but it was funny because it was almost like a learning experience for him and myself when we were growing up. To that we don't always know exactly what we want, but as long as you continue to keep putting hard work in and striving to be better each and every day, you will be successful. Absolutely, that's. And hearing you say that, and for me, because I've dealt with this for a couple different points in my life, and I had an ankle injury at 28 where three doctors said I would never wrestle with WWE. And, and then here recently, I, I walked away from WWE because I had a very serious back injury and shoulder injury, and I've talked about that to death. And I kind of had to adjust game plans. And what was that like at, at 17? Because for me, I was 30, I think, four at the time. 
And I had to completely shut down here for the last three years from a, a competitive standpoint physically. And it's been the hardest thing, Ken, I've ever had to do. And luckily through stem cell, I've had 11 stem cell procedures. They've regrown five of my discs and I got to go to Columbia in two weeks for my shoulder. But it was the t- it's been the toughest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life. And what was that like for you at that 17 to be dealing with that? I can't even imagine that. Well, especially since when I when I was growing up, I didn't have a, a home per se because I was in and out of group homes and juvenile hall. And so here I got into this home at 13 years old and I started uh, playing sports. And all of a sudden I wasn't this punk kid anymore. I was actually relevant. People wanted to help me get good grades because they wanted me on the football field and the wrestling mat. So I became relevant. I wasn't this punk kid running around, not going to school, cutting school, getting in trouble, stealing all of a sudden, I was in high school, and I was I was a, a star uh, athlete, and all of a sudden, I was important, and everything that I did to change my life was through this group home, and I did everything right, and I had scholarships and people looking at me for wrestling and football, and at one instant, when I'm in there doing my wrestling program, I end up um, you know, doing a move and breaking my neck, and in that instant, I, it all ended. Like everything that I was, every my DNA, everything that made me successful, everything that I felt that I was good at was now taken away, and I didn't know who I was going to be. And I remember my father said something to me I will never forget. He owned the group home at the time. wasn't my dad then, but I remember I was laying in the hospital in this, in, in this halo. I had this halo on. Yeah. And I remember him saying to me, I can either lay there in powder or I can get up and do something about it. Yep. And a lot of people hear their words and they think, wow, why would he say something like that? But to me it meant... I was the only one in control of my destiny. Doctors can't tell me what I can and can't do. People can't tell me what I can and can't do. I am the only one that can change the direction of my future on what it is I want to do from this point on. Nobody can tell me I'm done. Nobody can say it's over. Only I can. And I remember taking that to heart. And, you know, and I worked really hard to get to where I need to be because of what he said to me. Like, nobody is going to do it for you. You got to do it for yourself. And speaking of, um, you know, that I got injured several times, and you know this you know, better than anybody as much as I do, that when you travel down that road and you become successful, uh, a successful athlete and you get into the ring, uh, injuries, are, they're there and yeah. they're going to happen. You don't pout about them. You just know they're going to happen, and hopefully they don't happen to you until you, you know, you're, you're successful. But even if they do, you got to keep moving and keep going. And speaking of that, I know you spoke about going to Columbia for some stem cells. I'm doing the same thing in July. I'm going to Columbia, probably to the same place where Matt Hughes and yep. Chuck Liddell had gone and done some things. Same I'm exact going place. there in July. So it, it's amazing um, the opportunities um, that is out there for people to continue to keep being successful. You just got to want it. Yeah, no, and it, it comes down to a mindset thing, and, and you. <laughs> Just like we have a choice every day how, you know, waking up and we can feel sorry for ourselves and, and whatnot. And, but I, and for me, I had to apply myself in a business standpoint. And it's hard from, I've been physical my whole life. I love, I love being physical and that adrenaline and that intensity. And it's business is entirely different. But those, you got to be able to take those same things and, and that work ethic and apply it in a, in a different way and whatnot. But for me, I just found too, and keeping a positive mindset and you, you tend to attract good things into your life. And like the stem cell company, they contacted me maybe about a month ago. And, you know, I've had 11 here in the States and there's only so much they could do here with all the restrictions. And I have a really good doctor in Vegas and 
they, they've done an amazing job, but it, again, it's taken 11 procedures. And then this company calls and with this technology and going over to Columbia, I believe in the States they use, and, and I'm not a doctor or anything, but they anywhere from three to 8,000 stem cells per procedure or per, per injection or however they do it. And over in Columbia, they're using millions from the umbilical cord stem cells, which is the highest that you can get. And, and it's, it's crazy this day and age what we live in, though, with the medical advancements they've made, what they're able to do. And I'm essentially getting a second chance to go back to pro wrestling where it was get a five-disc fusion and a shoulder replacement. And still in my head, I was if I would have had to go that route, I still feel deep down that I would have been able to still push myself. But I, I don't know. You never know when you go down that road either. But Yeah, but you, don't, but, but, but you have to have that mindset. Yeah. Even if that doesn't happen, but your mindset is you're going to, and let the, let the chips fall where they may. Absolutely. And for you, Ken, would you was Mr. Shamrock, Bob Shamrock, was that? I've had DDP on it, and we talked about this. The how powerful it, it truly is uh, when somebody else believes in you, and how inspiring that is. And and for a lot of people, if they don't have anyone believing in them, you could, it could you could really be lost. And what and for you was was Bob that person that that really believed in you first that that really started giving you you know some guidance. Yeah, it was because I had gone to probably seven different placements by the time when I was ten years old, I was in lockup in juvenile hall for for a strong arm robbery and I got stabbed. And so I was in and out from the time I was ten till I was thirteen out of different placements. I'd run away from them. I was in boot camps, work camps, and I'd run away from them. And I ended up going to the Shamrock Boys' home. And that was the first place I'd actually gone to where I wasn't a number. He literally knew my name. He knew my, my record and what my record was. And this was the difference was that he would look at each kid and go, okay, um, your problem is that you have a hot temper. You're constantly angry and frustrated, but you're more outward with it. Like you beat people up when yeah. you get mad. Other people smoke joints or they cut themselves or they do other things that are more in, inverted. And then I was more outward. So he basically said, let's get you into sports. Let's help you vent that frustration into something positive. So when you feel that anger and you want to beat somebody up, he said, go hit somebody on the football field or get in the gym and work out or get in the wrestling mat and wrestle where you're able to release that frustration into something positive instead of negative. People that were more inverted with it were guys that would cut themselves or that would just you know, get stoned all the time because they didn't want to face reality. Um, they, they were more of the type of people that would do artwork or that would be singing or things that were more them being able to let inside out without getting physical. So there was, I remember this one kid, um, we had it that was in class. He was at going to continuation school and he got sent home because he drew these pictures of, of this guy standing on all these bodies that were dead and blood was everywhere. And he stand on top of the bodies holding these heads that said, kill them all. And I remember that they freaked out and they were talking about putting him on medication, sending him home and said he needed counseling. And I remember my mom looked at that and said, wow, that's really good because the artwork was tremendous. I mean, it was really good, but nobody could see the talent in that, in, in all of that violence that he drew. Right. Yeah. All they saw was a messed up kid. Well, my mom actually saw something that was talented and said, Hey, listen, we have work study at night. If you want to draw, you can draw whatever picture you want to draw here at home at work study. He said, but when you do that, I want you to be able to draw something other than that also. 
when she started working with him and told him it was good and, and literally started counseling a little bit and helped him kind of vent his frustration through his artwork, the next thing you know, six months later, he's drawing an actual uh, building that goes to the side of our house in addition, and he's being taught the measurements and all the things that you need to do to draw the diagram in order to build that, that addition onto it. This kid goes to college and becomes an architect, all because somebody saw the talent in all of his hurt and all the violence that he was doing through this, this, this artwork uh, instead of putting him on medication yep. and putting him away and saying he's sick, they literally saw talent in him and literally said, let's do something positive with that talent that you have. That's, that's amazing. And that's so necessary. And it's, it's finding somebody that can see that and recognize that. And so many people don't and, and focusing on the positive is so key. And with, I know with you and in, in talking about anger, do you like within in, with MMA training, because I find, and, and from doing some of that, that it, it's it teaches you so many valuable lessons. I feel in in that in that, and I look at do you, is that something you think with like with kids? That's something like because I feel like if I had kids, I would want them to 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 be in jujitsu, to be in muay thai, to learn the disciplines because I feel it, it te- helps you uh, control your emotions. It teaches you respect. Respect. It, it teaches you how to be humble. Is that something you think with the children? And whatnot that like MMA should be something that is a little more with parenting that they should be something that kids get into at a younger age. I have always believed that athletics has been pushed out of schools, PE, all those things. Yeah. And I thought I think that they because they've done that, they've really taken away an opportunity for children to be able to learn how their bodies work, being able to during the day, all the things that those kids go through with peer pressure and all the other things that they're dealing with, to be able to vent some of that stuff through sports. And by doing that, they've taken away that opportunity for those kids to be able to go do something that teaches them one discipline and being able to work hard at something without having anything in, 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 in rewards for just that, you know, you feel better about doing it. And by taking those things out of school, you're teaching our children to be lazy no, I, I agree with you. I think it, the sports have helped me tremendously from from a very very young age, and, and as I've gotten older, and it, it, it's a great stress relief and just the the lessons and learn like you said, learning about yourself is is something that that we all constantly need to be doing, and, and taking that away from the youth is not a good thing, uh, in my opinion. And I agree with you completely on that. Have you found too, like with anger? Because I found with me, I've had to. I, uh, I'm constantly reading and listening to audiobooks and, and talking to different people, do- having doctors on this show, trying to learn and evolve. And I found for me, I've had a lot of anger since I was younger, and I've had to. And it helped me tremendously in pro wrestling as far as is being able to tap into that anger it, it, from an intensity standpoint. And I think that's something yours is great as anybody at that. And that was one of the things I loved about you growing up was your intensity when you from watching you in, in the WWF at that that point in time but have you found like uh, for ways controlling that anger outside of a the that environment is that something you constantly have to work on too or are you or at what point did you feel like that was under control for you well it's never under control and I think that's the thing about uh, being able to understand yourself as like an alcoholic or a, or a, a drug addicted, somebody that's addicted to drugs, you realize that that's who you are for the rest of your life. Yeah. You're an alcoholic or you're a drug addict. And that's, that's, you have to understand that's who you are, right? 
And so you can't just go, well, I'm recovered, so I'm not that anymore. Yeah. That's not true. That's, that's who you are. And if you're aware of it, that's how you're able to control it. And anger is no different. I used to get into fights and I'd beat people up with people in the hospital. I did a lot of bad things because I was angry. Yeah. And so I have to understand that that's, that's my DNA. That's who I am. But that's not who I have to be. That's what I was. Yeah. I don't need to be that anymore. I understand the issues. I understand the feeling. And that when I do get that feeling, I've got to realize I've got to shut it down. And so I think as we get older and we understand who we are, we're able to control it much better because we know what happens when that, if you let that feeling take over. Yeah. It isn't, you're going to be in trouble. And so for me, it's being able to understand my feeling, understand where I'm at, and making sure that it doesn't, it doesn't overtake me. No, that, that's, you're spot on with all of that. And that, in this day and age, because I, I come from growing up without social media initially, and then it, you know, around high school for me is when all the, the internet and everything kind of came around. And, and now we got kids that are kind of growing up with just nothing but internet from, from the beginning of their lives and social media. Is that something, what are your thoughts on that? Because for me, I've had to personally, with, with a lot of the negativity, I had to, I've had to constantly strive to, to learn more about this and be more understanding. And I, as positive as I am on different things, there'd be times when I would focus on the negatives and focus on the hate, and it would give me a very bad taste in my mouth with social media. And I found I was ignoring all the, the, the millions of people that do like me, the, the positivity out there and how great it could be. What's your experience with social media so far coming? Because it wasn't around for the longest time, and now it's a major part of life, it seems, with everybody. Yeah, the way, the way that I dealt with it was that um, anytime anybody that would come in and say something mean, I would come back with them with kindness. Yeah. I would come back and say, I'm sorry you feel that way, but, you know, uh, what is your reasoning? And, of course, then when they would start on whatever it was, and I would say, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I think that you're misinformed. That's not what happened. And so sometimes you can literally talk somebody down out of a tree by just being nice to them. Other times, and you know this as well as I do, other times people are just doing it because they want to be mean. Yeah. So there's no way you can talk to them or even, even discuss it with them. So usually in that sense, I will always say, well, I guess we'll just uh, agree to disagree yeah. and leave it at that. And they'll keep coming back, but I just won't answer them. Um, and I don't ever block anybody uh, because I feel like doing that, it's almost getting a rise out of them. So we just basically just... Um, put it to rest. They'll keep saying what they want to say. And this is the fun part. You, I, you, you and I both know this. When the fans come to your aid because they see them doing it, yep. and they're the ones that bash them. So a lot of times when that happens, it's great to be where we're at because we know our fans will take care of it. Yeah, and that, that will actually, that, that's a great point you make there. And I found, for me with that, and when you respond to hate and negativity with, with more hate or negativity, or even you block them, what happens with that is that block actually will even, it can infuriate them more and they tell 10 of their buddies and then you got 10 more people coming at you. And it kind of just, and having this different doctor on, uh, Sue Mortar a few weeks ago, and she goes, when you focus on the negative, that energy grows and it just resonated with me so deep because I've, I've seen this on different things, but I do the same thing now when I see somebody, if there is a negative uh, reaction, it could be completely made up and just out of left field. And, but responding with love and, and positivity and kindness and taking a negative and responding with positivity and people do see that and they come to your aid. And I feel like that kind of almost, 
they kind of get a taste of their own medicine with that as well and kind of see, like, oh, that doesn't make me feel good when I have people talking to me this way. And they, and they hopefully learn a lesson of that. And then you got some that don't, obviously. But right. like, even the ones that don't and the ones that are just coming back even with, with that negativity, deep down in their hearts, they see that you're different, that, wait a minute, this guy didn't come off trying to be a tough guy saying, well, if I see you, I'm going to beat your butt yeah. or any of this other stuff. And you're constantly killing them back with kindness. No matter what happens at the end of that, even if they keep pulling your names or they keep doing what they're doing, inside their heart, they realize you are a different person than the rest of them. Yep. No, I, I agree completely. I, I think that is a great way to, uh, to approach social media. Ken, I had with all this too, and I saw with Ed in talking and with your childhood and, and everything, and it got me to thinking because I talked about before like the power of being hungry. And you guys talked about something in that interview where some of the most successful people in the world are the ones that have, have faced huge adversity at a young age. And I always like, I like Tony Robbins, for example, because he's, a lot of people have trouble understanding how this man is so kind and compassionate and helps people. But if you understand Tony Robbins' childhood and background, it kind of opens your eyes to that. And I think it's the same, just no matter what what avenue you go down, but for you, facing that such adversity at a young age, do you think that's what instilled that, that hunger in you for, to want success, just to want to push yourself as you went through life? I did. I think um, when you look across the board, and, and you'll see it in business too, but I think it's because there's so much attention paid to athletes. You see it more in, in the athletic world where you see football players and boxers and the hardcore kind of sports, even basketball you see a lot of kids that come into that that have been um, – they didn't have a mother. They didn't have a father. Maybe they didn't even have both, or they grew up in group homes, or that they got involved with drugs, or they were in a bad neighborhood, or whatever their situation was. They were not in a good position. And so they – because of their environment, because of what they went through at a young age, you either, either lay down and die, yep. or you're that person that rises above everyone else in that adversity because you realize the only thing that's going to happen is the only way you're going to get through this is you depend on you. And you're the only one that's going to make that difference. You're the only one that's going to strive to get through all that. No one's going to do it for you. You will get help and you will have people guide you, but you were the one that makes the decision on whether or not you were successful or you're not successful. And so I believe that as a young kid with all these different athletes, uh, who have gone through some of this adversity, even in the business world adversity, I think there's a certain kind of character um, that they, they actually gain from going through the adversity at a young age. And then when they get into sports, the adversity that they see in that sport is nothing like the adversity they face growing up. Yep. So for them in the sport, it's just overcoming another obstacle to be successful. And the only other option you have is to fail. And that failing means you go back to where you started from. And that's just not going to happen. No, yeah, that's, I found too, and, and with me, and I, I, I came from, you know, middle-class family. I had, I had a good childhood. I had, a, I had a good mother and father. I always excelled in sports, but I never had, re I never had to face adversity. And then until I got into pro wrestling, and even that, <clears throat> Anything I've ever essentially set my mind to, I've always done, and I've been blessed in, for, from a physical standpoint, and I've had to learn mentally along the way, but I finally, for me, it was in pro wrestling and getting fired, 
and, and getting uh, having a really bad breakup with, with a with an ex girlfriend and her telling me that I was going to be a loser. I was never going to can ever make it in anything in life. And there was something in that and being I was poor at the time and living in Louisville, Kentucky and lost everything. And I had to, I tell everyone it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because for the first time in my life, I got my back was against the wall and it was sink or swim. And it just, it changed me forever with that and, and how I approach things. And, and that, again, I was 20, my young 20, I think 23 or 24 when that happened. But up until that point, I never had had anything. And then with the ankle injury and, and getting the broken ankle and it happened again there with that. And it's happened again, this with this back and shoulder injury where you can, I, I like it because it makes me dig down deeper And it. But I find like people that don't have that adversity and you see that with people that sometimes where they settle for being average or a little bit above average. I think you like you, said, you need that adversity to really, really get just that, that power of wanting to be hungry. Well, and I also think that when you, when you look at, at people in character, um, I, I spoke on kids with adversity and where I came from. And the reason why I think guys that get to that point are successful is because of what they went through when they were younger that they're able to overcome these other adversities that are not as bad as what they went through when they were younger. But I also believe too, that when, when kids are, have a family and they have a good childhood, that's something that's taught them by their parents yeah. to be able to be better and make themselves better each and every day. But there's also parents that raise their children just to be happy with what they've got. Yeah. Now there's nothing wrong with that. If that's, if that's how you raise them. But for me, I've always thought in my head, if I was going to raise my children and, and, and raise them in this world, I would want them to always make sure that they try to strive to be the best, even though it's not trying to put anybody else down. But for you and yourself, each and every day when you wake up, you want to be the best you you can be and not just be satisfied with where you're at. Always try to improve to be better. I agree with you completely. And Ken, I know for me, and I, I'm curious on your thoughts on this, with my, when I had to, three years ago there, when I, I left WWE, I had to kind of shut myself down a little bit. I, I've had to do a lot of reflecting on, I've always been ultra competitive uh, in everything growing up. And for the first time, I kind of had to shut this down as far as from a physical standpoint for, for a period of time to allow myself to not put myself in a position to do anything stupid. And, and it's been the toughest thing ever, but that... What are your thoughts on from a, because uh, I think competition is great, but do you, do you think like for me, I found that I, sometimes my reasoning for competition was just wanting to be better than other people. And it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily from within as much. Now I'm finding that I got that, that drive to compete. It's to be, to be my best. I got to have my internal reasons need to be in check for me to truly, truly for, to be satisfied and to be happy. Is that something with you in, in your career and, from a competitive standpoint, how do you view that? Yeah, I think that when you look at trying to be the best that you can be, I think you have to have something to look at first. Like yeah. you see other people out there doing things and you got to say, okay, I, I want to be better than him. I want to be, I want to be able to be better than him. And so there's nothing wrong with that. Um, don't, you don't want to put anybody down for that, but, but when you're looking, you can't just say, Hey, I'm going to go out there and be, be the best I can be each and every day with no guidelines, yeah. with nothing to compare it to. So it's okay to go out and say, hey, listen, I'm a MMA fighter. Hoist Gracie was the one at the time when I went into it, and uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to beat this guy. Yeah. I'm going to beat him. I'm going to be better than him. 
And you go out there and you put the effort in it and you work hard and that's what you do. When I train my fighters, the one thing I told my brother and I told all the other linesmen fighters that my floor, my, there's, my ceiling should be their floor. Like you, because of all the knowledge I have and because I'm training you guys, you should be better than me. Otherwise, yeah. I've, I've not done my job. And so, there's, like I said, when it comes to that competitive part, I've always been very, very competitive. I've been very competitive in just personality and character. I yeah. wanted to make sure that I was the light of the life. When I did interviews, I wanted to make sure I could do good interviews. And when I was in the ring, I wanted to make sure that people said my name um, more than the guy that I was in there with. So my competitiveness was at a very high level. I wanted to be the best. I didn't want to be second to anyone. But at the same time, when we're, when we're doing that, we're also saying I also respect other people. Yeah. That even if I get beat or if somebody has done better than me, that I show respect that that's what happened and not get angry and mad because someone was better than you. You, you acknowledge that, but you don't have to accept the fact is that that's, they're going to stay better. You go out, work harder and try to be better than that. So like that competitiveness has always got to be there. Even today with the business world and me doing the things that I'm doing, I'm constantly wanting to make sure that I may, I prove my name, make my name in the world of business. Yep. And I want to be mentioned in the names of the greatest. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. I agree with you on that. That's that's one thing. You, what was that transition like for you? Because the first question I guess I have on this is is for you from a physical standpoint, because we always hear this, and with the stem cells and everything kind of coming around, it, I feel like that's kind of a game changer for a lot of things because I feel better now than I did five years ago, and I, I'm 37 now. But when, as far as father time, when did you feel from a physical standpoint that you could actually where you noticed a difference in yourself? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really the age. It was more of injury. I yeah. think that's kind of the same thing with you. It was like, well, as soon as I, I messed my knee up, I, I tore my ACL. It seemed like after I did that, I just was not the same fighter. I was dominant. I was dominant in Japan. I was dominant in the UFC. And then when I tore that ACL and I came back, I felt like I had to change my game from being a world-class grappler to a striker. Yeah. And so I lost a lot of fights uh, trying to make the adjustment. But when people were saying, well, you should retire, you're too old, do this and that. My, competitive, my competitiveness side kept saying to me, keep getting, keep training, you'll get better, yep. you're striking, you'll end up being a world-class striker, you're good enough to stop takedowns. So I kept pushing myself, really get, trying to give myself time to be able to, uh, you know, at least, you know, be, be much, much, much better at striking so that I could stay in it and still compete at a high level. And that just never happened. But I could never tell myself uh, in that time that, that I was done, that it was over. I kept saying yeah. to myself, okay, I got beat again. I'll go back to the drawing board. I'll get better. And it just never came about. It just seems like it kept getting worse and worse. When I finally stepped away and said, okay, I'm going to take some time off. When I finally stepped away after the last Hoist Gracie fight and stepped away and took time off, I became much healthier mentally and physically because I wasn't pushing myself so hard, even through injuries and not letting my body rest. And yeah. I took some time off, went back into pro wrestling, and I'm better than I've ever been. Man, that, that's unbelievable. What other injuries did you, because I was, I think in the Ed Milet interview, is your, do you have, is it titanium rods in your L1 through L4? Yeah, one through seven in my neck, I got brackets. Okay. And one, one through three in my lower back, I got brackets metal brackets, and then I got a titanium ball in my right shoulder, and I've got uh, ACL replacement in my left leg. 
Wow. What's the, the, when did you get the shoulder replace? Or is that, is that a, technically a shoulder replacement then? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a titanium ball and replaced everything. So how's that? Uh, that one, there was like, that was back in 2011, I believe. Do you have any complications with that? Or do you, are you pretty like working out wise or any restrictions with that at all? Yeah, I was just amazing because I remember when I was when I injured it, the shoulder it just constantly kept getting worse and worse. Yeah, and I usually did dumbbells. I was 110 pound dumbbells. Yep. Uh, you know, for eight ten reps, and and I was down to 35 to 45 pounds because I couldn't. It, I just didn't have it. Same. I got the shoulder replaced. Ended up getting a physical recovery from that. And now, as of today, I'm at 90 pounds doing 20 reps because I don't want to go heavy because, yep. you know, the, the shoulders am older now, so I'm doing more of the reps. So I do 18 to 20 with 90 pounds on dumbbell. That's great. That is – I had to do the same thing and cut back. I was – cortisone ate away all my cartilage. I have no cartilage left in there. They're trying to regrow it with the stem cells, and, and I had some structural issues that happened and whatnot, and I didn't – I, I wanted to avoid a shoulder replacement just because my age and I didn't, I wasn't ready to go that route knowing what I knew about the stem cells and whatnot. But it was, I just, same thing though, in the last three years, I work out every day for three hours every day. I do my stretching. I still do all my cardio, my conditioning. And I just tell myself, just stay in shape. And then finally I turned the corner and it took a long time, but it, it mentally is not easy when you, you know, you're a physically superior human being. And then you kind of look in the mirror and you can't do the weights that you once did. And you have to, and I had to go through all of that as well. And then that's not easy, but I think you bring up a great point. I think with like weight training, as you, as we get older and evolve it, you, you adjust and you, you adjust your training as time goes on. And clearly that's something you've done from what you're saying. Yes. And, and, and it was hard for me. just like, I'm sure you're aware of, I, I was bench pressed. I weighed 227 pounds and I benched 605. Jeez. I was freakishly strong. My, my senior year, uh, just before I had broken my neck, I was doing some training in football and we had this bench press contest. And uh, I weighed 160 pounds, a little bit under 160 pounds, and I benched 320. So I've always been really strong. And uh, as I went into college to play ball, I put on some weight and got stronger and you know, I got to a point where I did a bench press contest in Mooresville, North Carolina, and uh, I went against this big Indian kid, uh, and I did 605 on the bench, and I weighed 227. That's unheard of. <laughs> and that was a record. I mean, I think that was a record at my weight at the time. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's absolutely incredible. That's, I yeah, always say, no going back, you've had one, just physique-wise, in pro wrestling or anything, is just one of the all-time greats just on that from that standpoint. Yeah, I've been, I've, like I said, I've been gifted, uh, you know, to to be able to be strong and be able to have uh, some good fitness because I went 46 minutes in a fight with Finaki and 36 minutes with Hoyce. So I could be a bodybuilding-looking shape and still have cardio. That's one, That's a great thing, right? Because I, I, I always tell people that's something I had to learn really when I first got into wrestling that – the more muscle that you have, the more oxygen that you essentially you consume when you're out there and you go through. And I always, I found for me in doing high level, like burpees and really, really the assault bike and, and skipping rope and mace strikes with the tire and that kind of conditioning, blow up conditioning, uh, created a confidence in me for pro wrestling that I contribute a lot of my success to when I finally figured that out. That it and it's I think for guys and being as muscular as you are, you have to be in even better condition 
than guys that are lighter than you or, or similar size, maybe not as muscular because at the rate that you're consuming oxygen. Well, and there also too, um, I was very flexible. I could do the splits, you know, I mean, yeah. I was really flexible. So that flexibility was real important, even when you're big like that, because those guys that tend to have the Tito Ortiz type muscles that can cut the weight, still be big. Um, they didn't have those full muscles that needed water. Like if you were that big, me, I had to cut the weight. It would come out of my muscles. Whereas yeah. Tito had that long muscle where he could literally just pack on the weight and then cut it and still be strong. So there's those, you know, when you're fighting, that's kind of the thing, the, the kind of body type and stuff. And I was fortunate to be able to be flexible, strong, and have great cardio. So for me, I was, like I said, I was, I was pretty fortunate to be able to, to have that. But again, like I said, one thing that I think that um, has always kind of frustrated me a little bit too was like when I went into pro wrestling and I started going there, I remember people were saying, man, why are you doing that? That stuff's fake, you know, this and that. And of course, I was there for about six months, and, and uh, I kept trying to tell people after I was there, I said, you have no idea the amount of, of skill it takes to be able to go in, you know, 200 days a year and be able to compete at this level and stay healthy and be able to stay strong. Yeah. And I said, you know, you'd be very surprised, um, and, and not now because now you're seeing the crossover there. But you'd be very surprised to see a lot of these guys that the, 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 the image and the thought process that people used to have of pro wrestling that they can't fight. They have a totally misunderstanding because everyone that I've come across in pro wrestling would, uh, it, it would definitely be put a beating on you. And so the image and the thought on that has frustrated me for many, many years because I think a lot of fighters, even in MMA and boxing, used to think about how pro wrestling was weak. Yeah. I think, too, that it comes down to a respect thing. And I feel, and I think you just need to have respect for everything and the skill of whatever it is. It's, you know, and you look at, you know, Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player, and he goes and he had some success with baseball, but he wasn't quite the baseball player that he was a basketball player. But having that respect that, that it just, applying yourself that what it takes, the, the, the professional wrestling lifestyle is an entirely different skill uh, than fighting, even though the, the conditioning element may be similar on different things, on whatnot in the training, but in, in the physicality and giving your body and the trust and where, you know, as in fighting, you're trying not to get hit. And in wrestling, you, you're, there's going to be pain no matter what through the different moves and the different things that you're doing. And I think if you can just sometimes... It's again, if you, you take somebody and put them in the, that environment and give them a week on the road and say, yeah, do this five nights a week. And, you know, <laughs> you got, you can't knock right. a guy out in one minute. You got to go do 20, 25 tonight. You know, it's, yeah. you, 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 you learn that respect, but I think a lot of people just don't understand it. Yeah. I think that's the, the main thing is I think they just don't understand it. And, and until you're actually in there and doing it, it's, it's hard for people to understand it. But the way I always like to explain it is, okay, tell me, because um, they use the word fake. And I said, okay, tell me how that chair shot to the face is fake. Or tell me how that guy going through the table, tell me how he faked that. Or when the guy gave him a tackle and he hit the mat, somebody tell me how that was fake going from yeah. the shoulder to the mat. Tell me how that was fake. <laughs> no. Tell me how they actually faked that. <laughs> that's actually, that's, it's funny you bring that up. I, I looked up a YouTube video the other day, and the one that popped up first was, you were the bodybuilder guy. I can't remember his name, but he, the, the guy was crazy where, where you just beat the, he wanted to just, I guess, to just feel as much pain as humanly possible. 
Do you, uh, right. that, that chair shot. Oh my, I saw that. I go, this guy is out of his mind for wanting to do that. But <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was doing my cardio, laughing my ass off, watching that guy I go, that guy's one crazy. Well, he was a comedian. He does a lot of that stuff. And man, it was, it was truly uh, amazing to watch him do it. But what was funny about that was, um, when he took that chair shot, he was trying to take it because I took one from the rock. Yeah. So he said, Oh, I could take that. I could take that. And I said, okay, are you sure? <laughs> he said, yeah, bring it. So when I hit him with it, he literally went unconscious. I mean, he went out. <laughs> oh, that I'm not surprised at all watching that. That was one hell of a chair shot. <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right, brother, you want it, you got it. And then when I kicked him in the chest, man, I kicked him in the back, and then I kicked him in the chest. I also popped off his chest and hit him in the chin, and he went out. It like literally flash knockout. He's like, okay, I felt that one. <laughs> man, no, that was I, I. I couldn't stop laughing at that. Was that was that was tremendous. That's why I wish, even taking a simple bump in the ring, I just I still remember my first bumps and having headaches and learning to, to tuck your chin and just, it's like being in, I've talked to different chiropractors and doctors where, you know, just a simple back bump is the equivalent of being in a, in a small car accident with just the rocking your body and how as pro wrestlers, you just, you toughen up to it and you just adjust and it becomes an everyday part of life and it's second nature. But I wish every, you know, fan could, uh, could just experience what that's like. Just, and I feel like they'd have a lot more respect for it. Yeah, no, no, or, or fighters, you know, people yeah. that are actually in real athletic, athletic sports to allow them to come in and have somebody hit them with a tackle or to be able to slam them or suplex them and to be able to say, listen, now imagine doing that 12 to 15 times a week, yeah. like where you're taking bumps that many times and then you're going to get up and do it again. And uh, so it's not, it's, it, it's, it's an understanding These, that to understand just because we have an understanding like stuntmen on how to do something doesn't mean it doesn't hurt still. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and on top of all of that, then, you know, go ahead and drive guys through, drive yourself three to five hours, a couple of two, three, four flights a week, find food, <laughs> find a gym and uh, get to the arena and do it all over five nights a week or for weeks at a time. And it's, it's, it's a whole different ball game. Uh, it's like eating Waffle House yep. because there's nothing open, and then sleeping in these uh, rot, these these rot, rotten rotten hotels because you go to one place and it's it's booked, it's sold out. So you got to drive two hours down the road just to find some yep. place to sleep. <laughs> I tell people that old man being on the road is, and that's one thing being home. And I love, I'm very grateful for everything and, and everything I've been able to get, and I and I want to do it still at the highest level here. Hopefully by the end of the year, early next year with everything, but just living in hotel rooms, I tell people, it's very, it's a rough lifestyle. It's a very lonely lifestyle. And I think that sometimes that's why you see a lot of the problems that you see is because it's not easy, especially at that, that WWE schedule. Was that something with you up there? Was that, what was your experience with that in the hotels and, and whatnot? Yeah. You, I mean, I think you hit it on the head. I think you get lonely, you know, and yeah. I think lonely, when you get lonely, you start making bad decisions. Yep. You know, you start sleeping with women and just to feel, feel like, that you know, you're human. Yeah. Like somebody's there and, and then you start to, you know, getting into the drugs because you got to get up and you're tired or you're hurting. And so people start getting into the drugs and then you jump in, into the ring and you entertain people. So you got to get up. And so it's just a, it's like this getting on this merry-go-round and it's fun the first time you go around, but then you say, okay, I'm done. 
Yeah. But no, you can't get off the ride. You yep. can't get off. You just keep going, and you're like, wait a minute, I want off. And you can't get off because if you get off, which means if you get hurt, if you take time off, you're never going to get back on that merry-go-round again. You just lost your job. Yeah. So it's a constant grind for you to keep competing and keep staying in it, which forces a lot of guys to make bad decisions, whether it's you know um, not being faithful uh, or having to do with drugs or whether or not not being serious about your job. Yeah. No. And you know, you said that what happens too is you start you start picking up these habits. And before you know it, years go by and you, you all of a sudden now, now it's part of your DNA in a way that you have, you've been acting or doing certain things for years that now just become routine. And it, it's like, you've heard, you know, Roddy Piper talk about the disease and it's really a weird thing with, with wrestling. And I found for me getting out of that was a blessing for me to get out of that bubble. And I, and I'd have some other guys there, you know, Stu Bennett, Wade Barrett, that was there for a long time when we came up through developmental and a few other guys that also kind of left. We all kind of left around the same time and, and willingly left on our own. And it was, it, I, I'm personally very thankful for it because it allowed me to really, at a, at a young age, still get my life fully together and kind of look at everything and get my health back and whatnot. But it is, it is, it, you got to love it. I always tell people, if you get into wrestling, you, you have to love it, to do it. Because if you don't, it, that, that will get you every time. Yeah, no question. And um, you got to make sure that you you stay grounded. I know the yeah. one one best the best advice I ever got was um, somebody had told me uh, when I got into the actual fighting part of it uh, before wrestling. Um, when I started climbing the ladder, someone told me and goes, "Hey, you know, when you get to a certain point, and I forget who it was because it was somebody that was a celebrity that already made it and came and started talking to me about making sure I put money away and, yep. you know, these things go by fast, so you need to pay attention. But the one thing he said was make sure that you've got somebody that you truly trust that you can go to and ask them if you're getting out of control because you'll get into a position to where everything has been given to you. You're on top of the world. You're famous, and everybody's giving you free meals and free alcohol and women are throwing themselves yeah. at you. And it becomes this world of you going, well, wait a minute, who's really there for me. Yep. And he said, make sure that you have one person in your life, whether it's your father, mother, whoever it may be that, you know, you can go to and ask him, Hey, what am I doing? What's am I, am I losing it? Yeah. Am I really doing what I need to be doing and going in the right way? And that person being able to say, listen, you're, you're screwing up. Uh, or you're doing this, or you're doing that. You need to do this. That we really can. That you know when you ask them and they tell you, you know they're going to tell you the truth, so that you don't get lost in that world. That's great. No, that you're 100 percent spot on on that. That's it's really easy to get lost in that. And I've always that's one thing, trying to stay grounded and stay humble throughout all of it, it because it could be it could be gone just like that as well. And I think that's, that's a great way. You got to have somebody to trust. It doesn't matter who, just somebody, because it's really easy to get caught up in all the and whatnot with all of that. And I know it's hard to know. It's hard to know um, when you're going in that, that, you know, who's really there because they're, they're there for me or that they're my friend yeah. because there's so much money being transferred back and forth that, People are just there, and you just you like you just don't know, right? You just don't yep. know who's there really for you. 
No, I, I've, I've gone through that as well. And it's a really, it's a tough thing to go through on that and, and having trust issues with people. And you just, you just never really fully know with that. And, and people change their behavior when, if they think with, if you're on TV or you have some money and it, it's, uh, it's true. You gotta, you gotta truly be grounded and be very self-aware and have somebody you could fall back on. I, I agree with that completely. Do you think with, as far as, I really have I have a lot of respect for you in so many ways, and I, I always appreciate people. And one thing when I left WWE, because I, I, I've talked I talk good and bad, and I I loved WWE. Grew up growing up watching it, and it was always my dream to go there. And, and I have had some difficulties with them over different things, and I've talked very openly about that. And whatnot. My last day there, when I chose to leave, I was told. Um, Look, don't say anything bad, and you can come back whenever. And uh, and I I chose not to talk to Vince anymore. I've already had many conversations with him. I just I knew I had to get out of there. I knew deep down internally something physically was wrong. They'd kind of threatened me in a way I wasn't happy about, and whatnot with that. But I've always always respected the fact that you've always just spoke. I feel like very honestly, because I feel like a lot of guys, especially today's wrestlers. Because we kind of came up in the developmental system where they kind of instill a little bit of fear, and and there was never another place to go wrestling wise either. But I've always just had a lot of respect for you. you just, you've always just come up very honest and you speak just from the heart, and I, I love that. Yeah, I've, I've I've always I've always done that, and even in a sense of it could be detrimental yeah. to me and my career. Same here. But I've always, even the way I grew up as a as as a kid and the struggles that I went through, the one thing that I think was instilled in me by my dad was that if you can't speak the truth or if you can, even if it's not the truth, maybe it's just your thought yep. or what you think. If you can't speak that and there, and, be, and, and somebody's going to be offended because you're speaking that, then there's something wrong with them, not you, yeah. because you should be able to say something without accusing or trying to hurt somebody. Somebody goes, Hey, what do you think about the product? Okay. Hey, I think that, uh, you know, uh, I, I really like to see some more toughness in there. I'd like to really see them focus more on uh, trying to be more aggressive and more wrestling rather than the soap opera stuff. And I was going to ask you about that. that. Yeah, real wrestlers, you know, get the wrestlers in there. Don't be pushing people that aren't wrestlers. Just, you know, more aggressiveness, more uh, kind of the attitude type thing. Uh, but it's just my opinion. Yeah. And then someone comes back and how dare you speak bad. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Hold up. That's not what I did. I gave my opinion yep. on what I thought should happen. It's not that it's because it needs to happen. Or somebody comes out and says, well, hey, why did you leave the WWF? And I give the reason why I left. Oh, how dare you talk about that? You have no right to yep. say anything like that. I'm like, uh, I was asked and I told. And so for me, if you can't do that, then you might as well put a gun to your head and shoot yourself because... If you cannot speak freely and be honest about what you feel and what you think and what you uh, has happened to you as a person and other people get mad about that, that's their problem. If you've got to start living someone else's life or someone else's vision, put a gun to your head to shoot yourself because now you don't have a life. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, and that's, I, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because... With with the wrestling and everyone, we all have our opinions. But like when I came in and I came through with Bill Demott and Deep South Wrestling, and he kicked my ass for a year, and it was the best. It was the best thing ever for me, and putting me through eight ten hour days boot camp style training, 
and whatnot. But I was in wrestling to me was always uh, the illusion of a real fight in that you that the best pro wrestlers are the ones that can make you suspend your belief and you like whether they're tough or they're not that when you're watching them you believe that you don't want to, you don't want to f with that guy and I, I thought you, what are your like today with today's wrestling and because I think the athleticism I love the moves I think it's great but I've always been a big fan of psychology and storytelling and, and trying to keep that intact as much as possible because the moves are can only go so far and, and some to, some of the guys today I know they view it a little differently they look at wrestling kind of as an art uh, and more of a performance and whatnot and, and you kind of touched on that I think though you make a great point because for me I like to see you can still do that stuff but I just want to see the physicality the intensity and and just have that turned up the where I think some guys some neglect that skill when they're out there well, and I spoke on it the other day when we were talking about A&E and we were talking about WWF, and I said, if you could mix the two, you got, you got yourself a show. Yeah. I, I said, a and &E, you got guys that are just tremendous athletes, great wrestlers, and, but when you all, when on the opening of the card to the closing of the card, you got spot, 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 yeah. spot. And it's hardly anybody slows down to tell a story, to get heat, get real heat, to get a good babyface pop or a comeback. It just seems like everybody's running all these, these things in together. And I thought Dustin Rhodes, uh, the Rhodes, when they put, yep. it, put that on, that told the story. Best Literally match of the night. a story that people could connect with. But where are the rest of the stories? And then you got WWF, who is, that's all they do is tell a story with no physical wrestling, like yeah. no attitude, no aggressiveness, no viciousness. Um, so they're missing heels. They're missing heat. Yeah. The way guys get heat now is getting on the mic and being able to tell how bad everybody else is. That's not real heat. Yeah. Real heat is going in there and kicking a guy in the nuts and bashing a chair over his head and beating on him and breaking his legs. Not really, but yep. and, th and then then getting into the audience and being able to mouth off and then get back on it and create more heat through action. Yeah, And, and you, then you get that's real heat. Absolutely. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head with that, with the Cody and Dustin match. And that match, why that stood out to me, and I watched that whole pay-per-view, and, and I agree, and, like, and there, I'm really happy that there's another place now, and I think it's great for pro wrestling, and I want them to, to succeed no more than anyone. Because I think it for not only for fans, but for pro wrestlers, because my generation, we kind of didn't have another option for the longest time. And whatnot, but that emotion. I watched that match and had goosebumps, and especially as they they got through it and towards the end and afterwards even. And I and I go, man, that's what's that's what's missing from pro wrestling is that emotion. And that was just one way. Yeah. That was a more you know emotional moment between them. And I know their history and everything with with Dusty and whatnot. But just that emotion, whether it's anger, hate, sadness, comedy. But that's what makes pro wrestling so great to me is the emotion. Of it, and that that is something that is missing. I feel like a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's the. I think um, if somebody can actually harness uh, the actual wrestling in A and E, and 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 then be able to take the pro wrestling and the WWF with the theatrics and the drama and all the stuff and mix the two together, that's what you got. That's pro wrestling. It's being able to have guys that can wrestle. Yep and guys that can tell a story and get great heat and get a good baby face pop. I agree with you completely on all that. With you, and the, the, as far as the, in my opinion, you belong in the WWE Hall of Fame, no doubt. 
with that. Is that something? Is that one of your goals, or is that because I know that's something? It, it's not really under anyone's control. It can people have different opinions on that. Is that something that's on your radar at all, or something that you would want to happen eventually? Oh, there's no question. I mean, I think any athlete uh, who competes in an organization wants to be recognized. Uh, and I think the best way to do that is to be able to be in the hall of fame. And, uh, you know, I, and it's not like I'm asking to do it just because I, I was in the WWF and I was a champion in the UFC, but I think that, uh, I, I belong in there because when you look at the actual credentials of a hall of fame, it's, did you change the way people look at the sport? Did you break records? Did you change the way people have to do, you know, when they enter into that, like, for instance, like you look at Deion Sanders, they had to completely change the way people ran routes on his side, you know, and your running backs. And, and that's what a hall of famer is, is somebody that changed the landscape when you're in that ring or when you're on that field. And I really truly believe that when I was, went into that ring, I changed the landscape of pro wrestling because Prior to Ken Shamrock, there was probably maybe a handful of submission holds. Yep. And those submission holds didn't come by tap out. They came by a verbal, I quit. The only time people tapped out was after Ken Shamrock. Yep. Then there was, there was tap outs. Prior to that, it was, I quit. I give up. You brought a whole other element to pro wrestling with that. And I think, and for me in watching you, and, and I've experienced this with my time there and through other what fans I feel felt during different periods, is is I think you should have been a, a, the WWE champion at some point because you were as, <laughs> as legit as anybody there and it was believable. And like I said, I've always had a good eye when I just from watching over the years and you could just sell, tell who stands out. You always have that X factor. And whatnot was that something that that bothered you? And I know it's out of our control, and I've learned not to set goals I don't necessarily have control over fully, and whatnot. But was that something that that bothered you? It did only in a sense that I know Bret Hart had uh, mentioned to me that he was going to drop the strap to me, um, but he didn't want to drop it to Sean or anybody yeah. else. He said he wanted to drop it to me, and and I I, I don't know. I just. I, I'm obviously, I, I guess the office wasn't on board with that, but I didn't know that. I just heard him say yeah. that to me, and and I said, "Oh, well, cool. You know, I would I would be appreciative." And uh, so I was kind of excited about that. That Brett showed me, um, you know, some 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 love there. So I really appreciated that. But then the screw job, you know, then yep. then uh, they end up taking the strap off Brett by you know that that screw job. So after that happened, things just didn't seem to be going very well for anyone that was connected to Brett. So people had to make some hard decisions. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, I think, I, I hope just, I, I feel you, you truly belong in the, the WWE Hall of Fame. And I hope one way or another, that is uh, something that does happen. Have you had any contact with them over the years? Or is that something, none at all? Uh, no, you know, I've, I've run across different people at signings and different things like that, but, you know, nothing like that. And, you know, it, listen, uh, Macho Man, I don't know, it took him, what, 30 years to get in or yeah. something like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, I obviously I want to go in. I think I deserve to be in. Absolutely. But again, like I said, I'm also, I'm okay with waiting too, because I know there's a lot of other guys that put in a lot more time than me. 
that didn't get in for a very long time. So I understand it. I guess I just got to wait my time. I, I know I'll get in. I just don't know when. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, and you're, I, definitely you belong as much as anyone, in my opinion, for everything that you've done. I want to talk before we wrap up, Ken, just your, your transition from, from fighting, from wrestling into business and what exactly you have going on now and what that's been like for you. Because for me, it's been, it has been a like day to day. It's a challenge and applying myself in different ways. And what's that been like for you? Yeah, it's, it's tricky because when you first start making that transition from an athlete into trying to be a spokesperson or a representative for some, some sort of product or trying to even go in a different direction, people are always pulling you back into that world. Like yeah. even, even people that uh, want to bring you in for business, it's almost like they can't see you fitting in anywhere because they see you as this fighter, yep. as this pro wrestler, and they want your autograph. They want you to come in and talk to somebody, uh, motivational speaking, or to do other things. And when you want to actually get more involved in the business part of it, it's almost like they don't want to do that. They want to. They want you to come in and shake hands and and uh, and meet people and not. And they don't want to get into that business part of it because they don't respect you in that manner. Yeah. So it takes a real long time for you to be able to change that narrative by constantly pushing yourself into that position. That's why I started my podcast years ago. Is to, I wanted people to get to know the real me and show more of my personality. I've dealt with that exactly. Where wrestling, it can, it can pigeonhole you in, in, in fighting where they, you get stereotyped into a certain thing. And I was like, I got to really, really work really hard at this. I got I to put myself out there and show people there's a lot more to Ryback than what they think. But I, I've dealt with the same thing on that. It, just spot on. It's not easy. Yeah, it's difficult because they're so used to seeing you yeah, in this I role. Yeah, I that the minute you got you own a business or that you're representing a business, they 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 don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about your career or the thing. I just remember seeing you in this, and man, you were so good. And you're yeah. like, dude, hey, well, hold up, I'm talking to you about this. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it it is it is truly a challenge, and I, I there's good days and bad days, but I I found the same exact thing and. You know, I could I put a something out and it, it could be whatever it is, motivational post, and, and it's when you're going back to wrestling, when you're doing this, when you're going back to that, or it's like they they almost don't even hear what you're saying outside of that world, and uh, it definitely could be a challenge though, and whatnot. But yeah, you just got to in my in my experience though. Now I think I'm kind of past that a little bit, but I think you just have to keep grinding. Yeah. You got to keep being put yourself into that position to where. Um, it's natural for them because you're constantly pushing that direction and they're going, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. No, absolutely. I, I agree with you on that. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Ken, but with everybody, I always kind of ask on this If for you. What's one, if you could just give one piece of advice to the listeners that has benefited you the most in your life, what would that be? Yeah, I, without a shadow of a doubt is that... Um, uh, I think and I think this works with almost anyone. Um, but the one thing that that I learned um, that that was really a, a key to my success was that when things happen, like for instance, when I broke my neck, yeah. right? And I've had a lot of things happen along the way, but this could be anything for you. Is not listening to the negativity, not listening to people, because you have every right to to say, man, yeah, this really was screwed, man. That this wasn't fair. And you could literally beat yourself up over it and de be depressed and, and, 
and be in a right place where people would say, man, that poor kid, wow, that just wasn't fair. Yeah. But in life, it doesn't matter, right? Yep. The only thing that you can do as a person is to change the narrative. And you, as a person, is the only one that can change the direction you're going. You're the only one that can, that can succeed in life. Nobody is going to do it for you. And if by chance someone does, you won't have it long. You have to do it yourself, and it takes you not listening to the negativity and constantly making yourself better each and every day. Never, never be satisfied with okay. I love that. I think Tony Robbins has a quote where it's where focus goes, energy flows, something along those lines. And if we can choose to focus on the negative or the positive. We can choose to feel good or bad. And surely if you do focus on the negative, you're going to feel bad. Whether so. And I, man, I love that. I love that a lot. Ken, where can everybody find you now with everything uh, online, social media, or website? Yeah, KenChamrock.com is my website, and I have Instagram, I have Twitter, I have everything on there. Okay. So if you, uh, you pull up KenChamrock.com, I have everything on there. And also, too, um, we have a big announcement coming up in about a, a 10 days. Um, so if you want to keep in touch with the big announcement, um, follow my Facebook, jump on there, you'll get to hear the news first. Good deal. Well, Ken, I thank you very much for your time. And guys, we're going to be right back after these messages. Do you like sex? Who doesn't? If you like sex, you'll love BlueChew.com. BlueChew offers men a performance enhancement for the bedroom, like lasting longer and going extra rounds. At BlueChew.com, you can get your first chewables with the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. Chewables can work faster than pills, up to twice as fast, guys. The chewable from Blue Chew can be taken on a full or empty stomach, and your online physician consult is free. So it's cheaper than those other two, those other two being Viagra and Cialis. It only takes a few minutes to connect with a BlueChew.com affiliated physician, and if you qualify, you get prescribed online quickly. So no in-person doctor visit, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. It ships directly to your door in discreet packaging. The chewables from BlueChew.com are prescribed online by a doctor and made in the USA. BlueChew gives you the confidence in the bedroom each and every time. You and your partner will love it. Chew it and do it. I also got a great deal for you guys on this for listening to Conversation with the Big Guy Ryback. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code Ryback. That's right, just use promo code Ryback and your first order is free. Just pay $5 shipping. That's Blue, B-L-U-E, Chew.com, promo code Ryback. Baseball season is in full swing. And placing a wager on baseball has never been more exciting than with betonline.ag. This week, I'm not watching any of the game, guys, because you know the big guy Ryback is, doesn't watch much sports, to be quite honest. But I'm not against it at all. And if you love sports and you love betting, betonline.ag is your place. Because now you can save an extra 50% added on to your sports betting bankroll when you go to clnsmedia.com slash Ryback and use code CLNS50. The best part is, the bonus will be added onto your balance within seconds. Again, support our podcast by going to clnsmedia.com slash Ryback 
and use code CLNS50. A minimum deposit of $25 is required to qualify for the bonus, and please see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding bonuses. BetOnline.ag, your one-stop shop for online betting. Welcome back, guys. This week, I got Ryan Satin here with the Pro Wrestling Report brought to you by BlueChewBetOnline.ag in Real Good Foods. What's going on? The Big Guys Wrestling Report with Ryan Satin brought to you by Pro Wrestling Sheet. Not much. Hopefully, everyone can see me this week. Uh, I hear that the, the that I was not on camera last time for the YouTube fans. So, uh, hello to the YouTube fans. I, you, I, I, everyone, I hello. 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 Audio as well. Welcome. Uh, but yeah, man, dude, this has been a crazy week, and I really want to get your opinion on the first story. Obviously, one of the biggest stories uh, in a while, and that is that Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff this week were named executive directors of Raw and SmackDown. Uh, Sports Illustrated first reported the story. Uh, Eric Bischoff, he's going to be the executive director of Raw. Eric Bischoff will be the executive director of SmackDown Live. And basically what the press release said is that in their executive roles, Heyman and Bischoff will oversee the creative development of WWE's flagship programming and ensure integration across all platforms and lines of business. It also says the creation of these roles further establishes WWE's ability to continuously reinvent its global brand while providing two distinct creative processes for its flagship shows. Um, what do you think about this? I mean, you are all, you are a Heyman guy. You're one of them. You're a Heyman guy. He's kissed me. Uh, you guys had, you we guys, had we had a moment. Had, he almost proposed to me. Uh, what do you think about Heyman being in charge of Raw? So I actually do like this a lot, and um, but I do have uh, some things, and I think some questions need to be answered. Uh, and I might have some of these answers. I've been working on this all week. I've been very busy. Uh, and, I, and I do want to bring up another very interesting point, too. First of all, I like the move. I like bringing in these two guys. Um, I hope, because it seems like anybody who's kind of been in charge of like, with Road Dog writing the show and the different thing, and he's so brilliant and smart and has a good wrestling mind. And you saw what happened. I saw um, if Vince is going to have the ultimate say at the end of the day, to me, there's still a problem with all of this because, like we've talked about, with people that would you draw a picture, draw a picture, draw a picture. Vince just rips it up and does what he wants to do at the end of the day, anyways. Um, it's kind of pointless. Of doesn't matter who's really in charge of all this if Vince is still making the final decisions. But if this is possibly them delegating some more responsibility and actually letting these guys have some creative freedom within their system, uh, that could be great. And and I'm looking forward to this. I do want to say, I guess, playing devil's advocate, I, the first thing I thought of when I had heard this was WWE's had some issues, and I like talking good and bad about things. And the first thing I personally thought of was everything's kind of seems... Ratings are down. There's some real main issues with they, – they haven't when, – when like Hunter telling me before that there was never going to be another marquee name again. And their booking strategy by, by doing that, it's like a culmination of all these things have kind of now are really starting to show themselves uh, from yep. years and years of doing this. And, and I, I don't want to say it's a sinking ship because they're making so much money on so many things. But there are some defin, definite problems with their process. And the first thing I thought was – you're bringing in two guys who respectively shut down their own companies. 
uh, in a way and giving yeah. them control of a company that is struggling. Yes. That was what I thought. When I and yeah. I like both guys, I like Bischoff. I have nothing bad to say about them, and they're both very creative guys, obviously. But that was what went through my head. And Absolutely, of course, yeah. So, and I think people have to. I think, but it's give them an opportunity, and I hope they have some leeway to do some of their things creatively. But I think they also need to be able to make stars, and that's part of the whole problem with all of this in, in yes. the way they do business. And it doesn't matter who you plug into those pieces. If that's the business model. So if they're going to reshuffle their business model and want to make big stars, I'll go back with open arms. If that's the goddamn case, because then it's especially it, you're a Heyman guy. You know, yeah. I'm right? a Heyman guy. We, like you said, he kissed me. Kiss again. Yeah. Right. That. <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah. To, to respond to some of the things you said there. So number one, uh, from what I am told, uh, yes, everything 100% is still being, uh, run through Vince McMahon. Uh, from what I'm told, you know, that the... Because I basically was wondering if the ultimate goal of this is to help Vince be able to take a step back yes. with the XFL uh, coming up so that he can kind of focus on that and, and have people he trusts in executive roles in his absence when he's not there and stuff. But from what I am told, um, this hiring had nothing to do with the XFL um, and that really... Uh, you know, that only time will tell if his ultimate plan is to be able to take a step back yeah. here. But they can't um, say that, by the way, either. If they do say that from a, a, a shareholder perspective, it was, yeah, because people would see that, oh my, is he spread himself too thin? That's the whole thing. Like Vince, the moment Vince steps away, I think the stock goes down actually for because of uncertainty. You would think, yes, over uncertainty. And that, you know more about stocks than yeah. me. But you would think it'd go up, you know. But yeah, you're right. I guess over the uncertainty factor, that that does that would make it go down. I, and that's just my, my for me knowing what I know. I would think that. And like, if he were to suddenly pass away, I think there would be a lot of uncertainty, and people would 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 sell the stock on. And not saying everyone, but it would. I think it would definitely take a dip on that yeah. until. But. Um. So, but but from what I hear, uh, you know, no one is really expecting any immediate changes or anything yeah. like that um from what i hear everyone is saying it's going to be a slow uh, assimilation process for the two of them you know that they're yeah. they're going to slowly assimilate into the into their roles and, and kind of like be involved you know Heyman, as you know has already been working behind the scenes for the past like six months or so uh, on various things with you know ever since ronda left and before that with ronda he's just kind of like had his hand in things, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think that, you know, with Heyman, it's a little different than with Bischoff because with Heyman, he's been so involved in wrestling still this whole time. And, you know, he he had that chance with, with WWE ECW or whatever when they had the ECW revival yeah. and that didn't go well and he was... And that didn't go well, though, because they had the final say in everything. Because they had the final say yeah. in everything. But, but see, I feel like... And I could be wrong, but I feel like Heyman learned from that. And I feel like he was much more of a cocky dude. And it was – ECW was like his baby, yeah, you know. And, like, he, he is so, like – you know, I, I just think it was different. You know, I think that with, with time and age and, and wisdom and knowledge and all that kind of stuff and, and maturity, I think that he's matured a little bit and he knows how to work through the WWE system Very so true. much better than he did then, mm -hmm. which was, like, still – 
Heyman at his cocky level and as high as it was. And he's still a cocky dude, obviously. It's yeah. Paul Heyman. But, like, I think he's just learned. I think he knows how to talk to Vince. I just think he knows how to deal with it better. I do think, though, this is the other thing with, like, Road Dog When Road Dog was kind of – had more say on things for SmackDown. What happens, though, Ryan, is that position becomes a very stressful job. Because what happens if the show is not – if fans are still not uh, receiving it well and they're not happy with things – Heyman and Bischoff will start getting the heat with people, and that start that frustration starts building up over the, over time and things. And I'm just really curious to see how it all plays out. I think Heyman has learned they got to be able to make stars, and you can't put a cap on that it, because that's what I was just saying. That whole system, you do all this work, and then things just get destroyed, and nothing makes sense, and it's just it. it you lose uh, your love and passion for, from a creative standpoint because you really have no – you're being handcuffed. So, yep. Which that, is what happened to him in the past. Yeah, many times. every time. Every time. These guys are, are very intelligent men. Everybody that, that works in that system, that's why it's not hard. It all comes down to – here's what it comes down to. If the whole goal name of the game is let's make the biggest stars we can humanly make, uh, humanly possible, then it actually – that's not a really tough thing to do. As far as that, but it just comes down to them personal preference. Who are going to be the Heyman guys? Who are going to be the Bischoff guys? And it, it, if you have Road Dog in there, who are Road Dog's guys? It, it's yeah. Those stars then kind of it becomes personal. Who those guys like, and everybody has different guys and whatnot. But if it's we got to just keep everything down, and they're doing great, and then they got to kibosh some things because that that guy's going to get a little too much steam, and they don't want that. Then it just becomes the same thing over and over again. So. No, absolutely. It's a vicious cycle. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I will say that Heyman, you know, besides his affiliation with Brock Lesnar um, and him, you know, obviously he tries, he has creative input with the Brock Lesnar stuff. But beyond that, some of the stuff that he's been working on behind the scenes, um, from what I hear, is with the younger talent of people that he views as, uh, you know, potential stars yeah. for the future and, and stuff that he thought, you know, you know, Areas where he felt like he could inject his creative creativity. You know, I saw he was uh, shown in the 365 special on Alexa Bliss, uh, producing her Moment of Bliss segment. Yep. Uh, I think there's a report out there that he was uh, working with Aleister Black. Uh, you know, and, you know, well, here's a question I have for you is when you were doing the whole Heyman thing with him, you know, yeah. Heyman guy stuff, you know, did he have creative input in that at, at all? Did he try? Yeah, so here's – I'm going to first tell the thing. When I started out in Deep South Wrestling my first year, Paul Heyman was down at OVW and came down to, to Deep South and worked with us on promos. Um, and that was me. I was very new, very green, and he helped me tremendously. And I realized how smart he was by getting to work with him during that. Fly, uh, fast forward during that whole thing. I I don't want to, and, and I've talked about this before, Paul's done great in the wrestling industry, and I have respect for him from that standpoint. I didn't enjoy working with him at all. And I've talked, I, I didn't, I, I didn't want to be in that situation. He was working for Punk at that time. He needed to extend that feud because Curtis Axel ran its course, and they pulled me from the bowling stuff to go back and get Punk and pay him in a couple more pay-per-views. So I was very unhappy, and I had I had a sit-down with Paul, and I've talked about this, where and Punk was circling, walking, because they thought it was going to get heated, where I just cussed Paul out for two hours and made him pay for all my beers with Curtis Axel over in England when that whole thing ran its course. Um, and I was disgusted with him uh, from a personal standpoint. So but I try not to let that ruin 
me with him as far as I had. I was very unhappy over a lot of things, and and I just I I'm straight up. I'll tell you, I don't lay, and I and I wasn't what happy. What were you most it. unhappy about? He was working for Punk. He wasn't working. He was supposed to be working with me, and the goal wasn't to get his. He was just doing what was best for Punk the whole time, and that's his buddy. I get it, but I'm not going to sit back and the, him and so him and Punk are going and talking to Vince and about stuff. He's not. He's not. He's not with me. He's in, but he's with me on TV. So I thought that was really of him, and, and from just personally, and I let him know that. So, but I didn't, I, I didn't want Paul talking for me. Like the goal of that, if the goal of it would have been to put me with Paul and to, to run with it, that would have been a different situation, but it never was. So the whole thing just had a sour taste from the start for me. So I didn't enjoy working with him at all. I didn't want him speaking for me. I didn't want to do any of that. I didn't, but he's, he is very creative. And I, and if he's working for you, that's a good thing. He wasn't working for me at that point, and that's what my issue was with all of that. But, guys, I can see if he's working with people, he's very creative. And I, like that's mm-hmm. why I told that story from Deep South Wrestling, and I respect yeah. him on that end. I just, from my personal dealings with him, I did not like it. But even fast forward past that, we had that, got it all out. It was what it was, said our yeah. piece. And didn't talk to him for quite a while. He wasn't around for a while. His Brock wasn't there after yeah. that. And then... Um, when he came back and I was back, babyface Ryback again, he we'd we'd had some discussions and he is very insightful on things. Yeah. So I think he's, I think it, I'm excited to see what he can do if they they allow him some freedom and he does care about wrestling and he loves wrestling. And very much so. If yeah. he's allowed to help the talent, like I said, if again if this was st- the Attitude Era and we're trying to make The Rock and Stone Cold type characters. He's, you know, Pat Patterson was very influential on a lot of these guys early, and Pat's still around and whatnot. I think Pat has stepped back because he's he's older, and but he's shut down mentally because of the way the system is. He knows yeah. it's no longer, and he kind of backed away because he couldn't take it and whatnot. Yep. And I think if Paul's allowed to make talent, he'll he'll make talent. Absolutely. But, so A- absolutely, I think that you know he. He, I mean, obviously his whole strength always has been accentuating the positives in people. Yeah. And I think that like, exactly. if he, if he's allowed to do that, then, then it, 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 it will be a strength. You know, I think that you talked about the road dog stuff and I think that I am also very interested to see the difference between the lead writer position and this new executive director position they've yeah. created. Because I mean, obviously, you know, road dog was just creative. You focus on just the show, yeah. just the show, just just the script, you know, just beginning to end the script, you know. But but it seems to me like what they're saying about Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff is like they're going to be man. They're going to be more of like a director slash manager type thing of the entire brand yep. so that Vince can kind of be like, no, it was you. You are the one who messed this up for everything, you yeah. know. So it, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, Bischoff. Bischoff hasn't been around in. God, 10 years, something like that, right? Probably since the TNA yeah. thing. I'm curious how familiar he is with, and I don't know. I like Eric. I've met, I met him on a plane once. I don't really have any interactions or experience with him. Um, but I, I'm curious how in tune he is with today's product and, and the too. system. I don't know. And, and that will be very interesting to see how that plays out uh, as well. Um, but if he's, again, if these guys are allowed to come in and, and and have some say and do some things. I don't I don't think it will be a bad thing if they are allowed because I think anything will be better than Vince having the finals say if if he is going to delegate some responsibility to these guys. But 
if the system, if the business model is still the same, like I said, it, you, it doesn't matter who you plug into these positions. It, it, it's irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, I, I, fair. I think that Bischoff, you know, one of the things he had mentioned in an old interview was that um, that he felt like it just visually needed to look different, the two shows. Like, if, you know, Raw is glossy, then SmackDown needs to be more hardcore and kind of, like, gritty looking and, and less beautiful. But um, I don't know. I, no. I, 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 I'm very anxious to see what changes start being implemented. They need to make stars is what they need to do. And they need to yes. follow. They, they need children and the casual viewer to come to these shows and to watch on TV. They're, they're pushing it away. I'm telling you and playing to the hardcore audience on some things and not, they need to go back. I, John Laurinaitis was in charge. He knew how to pick guys that look like superstars that had X. John Laurinaitis found a lot of guys with the X factor over. Now, did he find some duds? Absolutely. And whatnot. But I'm, I'm telling you, man, pro wrestling, and it goes to the AEW thing, you got to, children and families, that is where, and you got to appeal to them, and you need larger-than-life superstars, and you need a good creative with it as well, and you need a balance of everything at the end of the day, in my opinion, so... Well, let me ask you about this then. Uh, Seth Rollins this week, he was kind uh -huh. of waving the WWE flag. He was a... Uh... He was talking about WWE has the best pro wrestling on the planet, period, yep. and uh, really, really going to, going to town and talking just to, just to defend WWE. He did an interview as well where he kind of put uh, Dean Ambrose down a little bit. I'm trying yeah. to pull up those quotes real fast. I thought, I thought I had already pulled those up. Where are they? Here we I go. I want to say I uh, saw one of those two. Go ahead. Yes, sir. So no, no, it's okay. Uh, but. Yeah, so what so do you think that he is kind of g doing that for the same reason to try and up <clears throat> the star level of his almost like up his star level of like a hey, I'm going to start talking because I'm being muted and I am a star and I am one of the best wrestlers on the planet yeah. and uh like I'm going to stop taking the high road cuz okay, here, here actually here's a better here's a better question. The high road thing. Is that just something instilled in WWE wrestlers? Like it's kind of told to you, ignore what everyone is saying? Because it's, it is kind of a weird thing to see a WWE star, especially one of the top guys in the company, out there like defending WWE. Yeah. Usually you just don't see that. They just, they're above it. I, so I get what he, I like what he's doing because he's very passionate about it. I love Seth. And he's, he's the champion right now, and he probably feels a responsibility to speak up a little bit. Um, I'll say that. People, WWE bell to bell is, is the, the talent that wrestles there is, in my opinion, better than anywhere else because they have better psychology, most of the guys. the Not saying all of them, but it's guys that came from the system and that, that they, and Seth, he, and I always appreciated Seth's approach to pro wrestling is trying to blend the new school but keeping the old school psychology in there somewhat. And sometimes we see him go against it at times. But he really, I think Seth is great. And I think he's just, I think when you sit back and you're getting criticized and getting criticized, the things that are, they're getting criticized for, it, it, it again goes back to the business model of WWE. And it's not so much the, the bell to bell, in my opinion, on, on all the time. Um, I just think he, you have to be, that mindset that he's in, you have to have that. And he, you got to believe you're the best. You got to, and I think people are sometimes like saying it's a golden era and pro wrestling and all, and it's not. It's actually it's it's low it's at its lowest. It's just social media is allows us to see everything kind of going on and whatnot. But the, I saw the Dean stuff again. Um, 
I have mixed feelings on that as far as I don't think Dean uh, couldn't hang or anything of that nature as far as being on the road. And it's not, um, I just think guys get mentally frustrated. Seth has been booked also. You got to, here's the other thing I talked about. WWE, the, the people they have chosen to push to the top, I believe they've specifically chosen certain ones that they know won't reach certain levels, in my opinion. That's why they, and now am I saying is Seth one of those guys? I don't know. But I feel like if you look at where Seth is compared to past stars that were used in those spots, it's, it's different because the system is different because that's what they want. So I'm sure he's beyond frustrated and you just got to, you sometimes got to, you got to voice your frustration and vent. And I thought he did it and he's done it in a good way. He hasn't like personally really gone, you know, crazy with it or anything, but. Well, here's what he said uh, for those, for those of you listening or watching who didn't uh, hear his podcast interview, he was on uh, the sports illustrated media podcast and talked about Dean Ambrose's talk with Jericho interview. And he said, Ambrose can do what he wants. He's a big boy. He's got his big boy pants on. He can go out there and say whatever he wants. But the bottom line is not everybody is equipped to handle the rigors of WWE and the schedule and how it affects you mentally and emotionally. And Ambrose gave everything he had to the company for the entire time he was here. He put his heart and soul into the travel, into the schedule, into the injuries, into the work in the ring and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, he took his ball and he went home or he went elsewhere at least. And I think it's a little presumptuous of him to get on a podcast and talk about the company that gave him such an opportunity. No, that's, again, Seth is being paid by WWE, and so here's the other, when you do media and say things, when you're being paid by WWE, you do, you only talk about the good, and or you only try to put them in a good light, because it in your head, you want to keep getting booked well, you want to keep making money, and Seth has been chosen as one of those guys to make more than a lot of the other guys on that, so he's not going to say anything bad. Dean didn't, there's no, the whole, this is another problem with today's generation is, no, more guys need to take their ball and leave. We all need to be making more money. We all need to have more control. That it, It's more creative control, more freedom, and whatnot. So I, I don't agree that Dean just took his ball and, and went home or went – like, you don't have to stay there for 20 years straight. You, you're allowed mm-hmm. pro wrestling is pro wrestling. And like, But, again, I do understand what Seth is saying about – the company that gave you so much because those two guys made a lot more money than a lot of ever, mostly everybody else and whatnot. Totally. So, but I just have mixed feelings on it. I like Seth a lot and whatnot. What about this? I would like to what see about... Seth speak up about the John Oliver video if he was a true leader. That's my <laughs> thing. That's my call out to Seth Rollins. If you're a true leader and I like you, buddy, talk about the John Oliver stuff. Let's have a true discussion on this. And in, in anything I've talked about in the past, Let's have a discussion about it. If that's what a true leader would care about everybody. That was always my issue with John Cena saying he loved pro wrestling. John Cena loves John Cena. You need the things I do. I talk about for pro wrestling because things need to improve and whatnot. So I, but I like, I like Seth a lot, but, uh, and, and lastly on this subject, I wanted to talk about this other thing. Cause he said it and, and Drew McIntyre said it. And, and, and we kind of, we, I think we briefly touched on it last week, but, but Seth said the same thing to the whole uh, – he basically said – here's what his quote was. He said, uh, 
Uh, is it on there's any reason to hop on a soapbox and complain after the fact? You, yeah. uh, and complain after the fact, you need to take the first step, and that's looking in the mirror and asking yourself, did you do every single thing you possibly could do to make yourself and your situation what you want it to be? Yep. And if the answer is yes, you did, then you can go elsewhere and complain. If that's where he's at mentally, then go right ahead. But if he hasn't done that, he hasn't looked in the mirror and made that decision, then maybe he should think about it. Absolutely. That goes for any other disgruntled talent, past or present. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I think that's yeah. true. I asked myself that, and I was, I, I believe I was in the right in, for everything that happened, and I've decided. I think, Seth, also, you got to be, it's talk, you got to have a pair of balls and be able to have courage and talk about good and bad publicly. And that's why I think now, Dean, in the way he did, you, people got to understand when you're creatively frustrated and, and whatnot, Seth is a champion right now. And, Every, when everything's good, it's easy to be happy and to talk about the good. This is always my thing. Let's see, Seth, how would he have handled it, you know, if he's red hot and they bring me back and then they, they have Seth job out to me seven months in a row or six months in a row and then take away some stuff from him, take away his merch paychecks. Let's put him on superstars, not give him an entrance. Let's him for a year or two. Let's cut his pay. Like I said, where's Seth Rollins then in two years, all beat up, banged up, not being, you know what I mean? You, so yeah. you got to be able to put yourself, Seth has been taken care of from day one of that company. Now has he, he's had frustrations creatively and things of that nature. He's, and he's played the game and all of that, but he was always been hand chosen and protected in that inner circle. So his outlook on everything is a little different than guys that have been taken out of that and put in different positions and seen their pay with and different things and whatnot. So I think Seth also has to be, try to look at this openly from that standpoint and realize that other guys, the frustrations that they have and things, which I like his comment. If you asked yourself, have you done everything and, and that and you, the answer is yes, then and go ahead and voice. I like that. But there are a lot of guys that leave and that didn't do that and are very upset and disgruntled and whatnot. That's where the whole lines kind of get blurred on all of that. Everyone has their own unique case. I think Dean, Dean's a, a stud. Dean was a star and treated like a star in the majority of the time in WWE. And whatnot. So I think, um, could he have done that interview differently? Not been drinking and, but yes, absolutely. And, but you're pissed off when you leave and things and guys, that's, I think Seth is, I get what he's saying and I understand it, but yeah. I think you do got to put yourself in other people's shoes sometimes. No, you have a perfect perspective on that. I think that was perfectly said. Uh, and lastly, I want to talk about something that happened over the weekend. Uh, did you watch Fighter Fist at all last night? No, I drank half a bottle of Big Jack Daniels Honey Jack on my cheat day and then ordered a bunch of Del Taco at night and uh, had a little pool party yesterday. So I did try I because uh, I, I wanted us to have a discussion about this. I'm not a fan of having to watch things online, stream it. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm dumb as Brian. I just, I like, I... <laughs> According to my good friend Phil Brooks, and uh, no, I went. To, I saw it. And I was gonna text you like, "Hey, how the f do I watch this?" And uh, I was like, "Well, I could just Google it and see." And so I Google it. You and... know what you need to get? You know what you need to get that made my life easier? Do you have a Chromecast? I don't. Have you think... heard of Chromecast? No. So basically, it's this. Do you use like for your computer on your browser? Do you use Chrome, like Google Chrome? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have that upstairs on okay. my PC. Yeah. The Chromecast? You have the Chromecast? Though? I don't know if I do or not. I, remember, I feel like I've heard so, of this, though. So basically, it's like a thing you plug into your TV, like in the USB uh, port. Or yes. And then anything that you're watching, like in your browser, you can cast it to your TV. Ah. Uh. And you don't have to just watch 
computer, you can just cast it right to your TV. I so I wanted to put it on my TV when I had the my guest over. That way, it was at least on, and I would be able to catch some of it as we were in and out of the house. And I, I signed up for the Bleacher Report live on my phone, and then I went to pull up my web browser on my TV, my smart TV, okay. and but then it wasn't working, and I was getting frustrated. I just go, F- it, I'm done. I can't. Well, the browsers on smart TVs not always – no, it's not the same, and it's annoying, yeah. and it's like sometimes it's Slow. doesn't work, and then you're annoyed. Chromecast – like sometimes it doesn't rec- it doesn't it takes a second to find your TV or whatever, but like eighty five percent of the time it works pretty smoothly. Yeah, and it's just like you want to re- you want to watch something that you're watching on your computer. You're just like, boom, push that. There's even like a little button in the top corner of a Chrome. You'll see it, and it's like you don't even have to do anything special. You just click that little button next to like your bookmarks. Yeah, and it's like, and it'll a little thing will come up, and you just click your TV. And it shoots it right to your TV, Man. and then you can watch it on your TV. It's it's very clutch. Why didn't they do that? If they had that on pay per view, I would have bought it yesterday just to put it. I would have like. Why didn't they do that with this? Well, this one was free. So is the next one. I think to me the vibe I got was they're using these two as almost like uh, tests for television okay. as opposed to pay per view of just kind of like yeah, watch our show. You know, like it's free. You know that that kind of thing. Okay. I mean, like, it, Last year, the Fighter Fest, sorry, the CEO gaming thing that Kenny Omega did was also free, if I recall yeah. correctly. Maybe not. I, I want to say it was, but I could be wrong. Which they can't um, offer that on pay per view for free, obviously, because of the network, yeah. the pay per view. Yeah, I get it. That makes sense. And, and then the next one is the Fight for the Fallen, which is like for charity, and that yeah. one's also for free for some reason. Um, but, and then All Out is back on pay per view again. Well, if that, that's interesting. They're doing that for free if it's for charity. Yeah. I, I because that would make more money, wouldn't it? Like, I, I, you would think, like, just make it for five bucks, and it's for charity. People yeah. would do it, you know. But uh, no, they're doing that one for free. I don't know why. I guess like they're they're saying you can. I, I'm guessing they're just going to promote the charity. You can donate the, during, yeah. Donate during the show. Okay. That's my guess. Um, well, okay. So the reason I brought up uh, uh, Fighter Fest last night, uh, first of all, honestly, you're. If you tried watching the pre-show and 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 weren't able to, you probably got lucky because the pre-show was not very good. Really? And I like things that AEW have done, but the, the pre-show was pretty rough. Um, you know, the fight the the Firefest jokes were just very dated because like the whole thing was like I don't know, it's kind of a date. The documentary came out I don't know like a year ago already, okay. and it was they were kind of really leaning hard into the whole Firefest thing. Uh, are you familiar with the Firefest? I have no clue about it whatsoever, so I'm just nodding my head as you talk, like. I can tell once you did someone too. Deer in headlights, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, wait, you oh, no, remember remember that 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 um uh uh that that music festival that Ja Rule was attached to where all the kids thought it was gonna be like this big influencer fest, and they went to this island in the middle of nowhere, and they got there, and it was just like not the. You're not familiar with any of this. I'm so clueless on all of this. This okay. is right, Ryan. When we're done here, you have you have Netflix. I take it. Right? Yes, yes. Go watch the Fire Festival documentary on Netflix. Really? Is if you're not familiar with any of this, I honestly don't even want to spoil it for you. No, go Just ahead. Go. It's okay. I'll watch no, it still. Go watch. Just watch. Because there's something I'm going to say that's really going to okay. value. Most of the people who are pay- listening to this have, are familiar with it, and they're going to agree with me here that the just because it was a thing in pop culture like I don't know, like a year and a half ago, something like that, and okay. then it became a thing. Just go watch a documentary. Trust me, it's hilarious. It's worth it. All right. It's just crazy. You, you'll you'll trip on it. Um, and then also they had 
um, the guy who runs the gaming festival, the gaming convention they were at, um, that guy was in a match. And he's been training for like a year, but it was just like bad, Ryback. Like really? bad, bad. Oh, dude. Like it was so bad. And I, I, because they're like this major wrestling company, it made them look Bush League by putting on this like really amateur, hardcore match with like a guy no one's really ever heard of unless you're a gaming fan. Oof. It was a bad look. And like I even saw Jim Cornette tweet. <laughs> Cornette's all over the place here lately. It's. Yeah, and I knew he was really mad about some of the pre-show stuff from Double or Nothing, which I wasn't offended by. But even me, I was like, this isn't good. Like, this should not have been on the pay-per-view or, or the event, whatever. Tonight's fan matchup pitting two fans who've been training for three months. That's basically how it felt. Now, Nakazawa uh, has wrestled for a long time. Yeah. That's, he's up against a guy. And, and, and at least when it's a celebrity, it's bringing, that, that celebrity is bringing new eyeballs in. Yeah. I don't know if I feel this Jabali guy is really bringing new eyeballs into the product. I'm going to say no, just off the top yeah, of my head. Got, but. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Just, uh, just a guess. I don't know. But uh, it was bad. So, so skip the pre-show if, you, if you're if – you're, uh, although – if you watch the, if you end up watching it after you watch this Firefest documentary, might you make might it be more enjoyment. You might make it. You might enjoy it more just because of all the jokes that are still they're still new to you. So perfect. Uh, <laughs> but the reason I brought this up is because of the one of the things that happened. Did you see this uh, chair shot that Cody took from? I saw. Uh, I just saw a video real quick because I was trying to catch up on what happened on everything before we talked today, and I saw a clip of the chair shot. Yes. So uh, he wrestled Darby Allen, Cody Rhodes, and it, it went to a draw at the last second. And then after Ty, uh, Sean Spears comes running in the ring, formerly Ty Dillinger, and he wails Cody in the head with a chair. And uh, no hands, mm -hmm. just like an unprotected chair shot to the head. Cody goes down. And then you see the back of Cody's head is just like there's a huge gash in the back of Cody's head. And he's just bleeding a ton. Now, if you go back and you look at the video again, you can see that basically um, the the backrest part, it like his head kind of got sandwiched in between the seat and the backrest part. Yep. So the bottom, the curved like bottom part of the backrest hit him in the back of the head and just gashed him up hard. And he got 12 staples afterwards. They have the hard edge of the chair on that part where, like, the, the outside of those are really, really hard. Because you want to hit the chair shot flush usually with Correct. the bat. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, he said 12 staples and no concussion, though I'm confused how they can determine there was already no concussion in, like, an hour. Um, I don't think that's something that you can determine that quickly. But, yeah. I mean, can you, you? I feel like you have more you more knowledge than me on that topic. Can uh, you – can, can that really be determined like that quickly? I think they're just that's their way of probably trying to, to just calm this whole thing down, doing it, whatever. Um, obviously, I think they, if Cody said he's all right afterwards and seemed to be all right and they didn't do any testing, then no, who's gonna I mean, help? They made it sound like there was testing because I think that they, when they were on commentary, they said he was being tested or something like yeah. that by doctors, but still. If you're being tested by doctors, you're not going to get an answer that quickly. They're not like, they're not like looking in a in a in like an X-ray through your head that quickly yeah. of like, oh no, concussion. You're bad. You're, you know, like it takes like a day to get the results, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know on that because I'm trying to. Th I just if, if he just like, said he's all right and they, concussion, right? 
Uh, I've never had it. I've never had a full blown concussion no. ever. That's why I've always oh, done good. the neck machine. Good. Yeah, that's. Uh, I've been I've been rocked. The only time I've ever been rocked was by I talked RVD on Raw, and I actually that's where I screamed live on camera. Uh, he hit me with one of those kicks, and it got me, and uh, it rocked me. But I was just I was just more, and I, we mean Rob joked about this. Because he's been known to have some heavy kicks from time to time. And I knew to get my hands up. And I was mad at myself that I wasn't able to block it. And <laughs> I was more mad that I got rocked. Because I don't like that. Like, I was like, I can't be rocked. And so I was uh, the big guy, goddammit. No, but uh, that's, uh, but no, other than that. And I got tested after and I was fine and, and whatnot. Well, okay, so like in, in that scenario, though, when you got tested after, how soon after did they tell you you were fine? I think that they so they made me actually had to drive that night with our uh, truth and Mike Kyoto. They didn't want me to drive by myself just to be safe on that. Um, so I don't. I, and I, they wanted to check follow me up the next day, which it was. I was told I was fine. With more, okay. the doctors saw me and whatnot. Um, so usually you do follow it up with more stuff, but they probably just assuming Cody said he was all right. The doctors there looked at him, said, "Okay, we'll probably follow up in a day or two to see if there's any other symptoms." And then if there are, maybe they will make an announcement on something like that. But I saw Khan made a, Tony made a comment saying that, you know, even like with flying, you know, there's nothing you can do about a pilot air, something of that nature. So I'm just assuming. Well, because they said, they said that the chair was gimmicked. They said, but I don't know how you gimmick a steel chair. Like I don't in know the press either. room afterwards, to, like your face is just as confused as my face was yeah. when I saw that. And I was so, this is the one time I was mad that I wasn't in the press room because I was like, I saw them say that it was gimmicked, but that like something clearly didn't go wrong, like something didn't go right. And that's why I went and rewatched the video and found the part where you can see it gets sandwiched kind of, and the yeah. other part hits the back of his head. But I'm like, how do you gimmick a Either. steel chair? That doesn't even make sense. And like, like would you, if you put like some sort of like lighter type metal, like a, a thinner maybe type, but my thing is the edges wouldn't be hard. Then how would that even happen? Like, or did they take the wrong thinner, chair? And if it was thinner on the, like the seat part, yeah, would have like it, you would it, it would have gone you would have seen it like crumple. Yeah, would have you know if it was like a, something they used for like a movie or something like that they. It, it would move. You'd yeah. see it like break. You know. Like, I am it, curious on that. How they would have done that? That's. I'm, so, I'm okay. Good. I'm glad that you were also as confused as I was because I've never heard of that. And I, it, to me, look at. I love the guys there, but it did sound like them trying to cover themselves because very well might be. People, yeah. Because a lot of them were a lot of people watching were turned off by uh, an unprotected chair shot to the head. I think you know in this day and age we know what that does to people. Yeah, and, and I think they have to be very careful of all this. And it could have been a way for them. And, and Cody, maybe they wanted to do this, and they just wanted people talking. And that's the one thing they wanted people. But and maybe they weren't expecting the the it to be back that much backlash on it. And it was, and it was just like got to kind of take a step back on this. We who know it could have it could have been something like that as well. I don't I don't know that you got to be really careful. To be honest with you, because like I do think that they wanted a negative reaction. Like they wanted people to hate Ty Dillinger coming out of that. They wanted people, or Sean Spears, they wanted people to be angry. I mean, that's yeah. why, because in the, in the media scrum, apparently the Bucks said that it was Cody's idea and that it was like a thing that he wanted to do. Um, Which I'm I guessing, don't like even that being discussed after. Like, I don't know I why. It, it's so weird to me that, and it's even like with the guys, and I like with Jericho, 
and Mox or the not was Mox did the interview with them before their thing, but like guys doing a, a big match and a well, run, and then going and doing the before, podcast I, together and they said that it was before, but I don't believe that it was before that interview. I think yeah. they just said that to try and keep some semblance. Very of, possible, they, yeah. I, which, but like Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho did that too. Like they had that huge New Japan match, the first one, yeah. And it was like you know they had this like blood feud going into it, and then like the next week they were like, all right, we're breaking down our full feud. Yeah. And I was, I'm not a fan of that. I I think you got to. I understand things are different now with social media, and we all and and using the technology. But I still think it, and again, it's like a magician telling the way he does his tricks. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to see, you know, Chris Angel show me everything that's fake before he goes out there and tries to do the magic trick or right afterwards the, you know, gotcha guys, this is how I did it. And like, I, I like that element of, of us still protecting the business to a degree, at least for some sort of period of time. Like, And if, if you're trying to like save face a little bit, like, yes, like you said, at least for some period of time, you can keep that to yourself. Like Jericho and Omega, really... give it a year or something. Let it, let's send. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But, I... just, but, but, but you can, but, but like, and if you want to get that out, like if you want it, but hey, it was his idea. He's not her. Like, you don't need to do that in the press conference. You can literally pull one of those reporters aside and be like, hey, this is what happened. And yeah. they'll go report it. You don't need to, like, stand there on video and, and remove all aspects of kayfabe. I'm with you on that one. I was watching that thinking to myself, like, why are they saying any of these things? Casual two people, wrestling fans. This is what I said. Even if everybody knows wrestling is scripted and entertainment and fake, people still want to believe. Yes. People want to believe. And that they want to suspend their belief. And like I said, it's like going to the movie. You don't want to go to a movie and be reminded that you're watching a movie and see them with cut and explaining how they just did that scene in the movie. It would ruin everything. It's really, you want to just go and suspend your belief and you know you're watching entertainment and, and times have changed, but I don't think you need to, to, to go that deep on things and tell people that kind of stuff. Because now you just take, there's no heat in that angle. There's nothing. Nope. It's, it's been like sucked out of it now. Yeah. Why would I yeah. want to pay to watch that? Or I want, I really want it because it's it. And I'm just kind of talking from a wrestling fan perspective that for the masses that want to suspend their belief, it's man, I don't know. Well, that's why, like you know, take it like, like you look at like a movie like a or Marvel movies, for example, you know, uh, versus a comedy. You know, a lot of times in a comedy during the credits, they'll do bloopers where it's like the people add a character and they're like, oh, oops, and you're laughing because it's like, oh. We were done suspending our disbelief. Now we can watch these yeah. bloopers or pictures of them when they were kids and blah, blah, blah. But you don't see a movie, uh, a blockbuster movie, for the most part, where there might be sequels and stuff uh, doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Instead, like Marvel has learned, they put a tease for the next movie at the end, yeah. you know? And then you're like, oh, hell yeah. Like, I'm pumped about that. You haven't, like, your, your, your suspension of disbelief hasn't been completely ruined. And I agree with you that, like, the, uh, you know, you can say Cody's fine, 12 staples, no concussion. The gimmick chair thing was a weird thing to tell the media, I thought. Yeah, because all if of it. true, no one's heard of that. And yeah. and if not true, why? You know what? To, all, you're right. All of it. Why? Just no, there's not a reason you to do that. You don't need to. And I think they, they, they're they like, they're saying maybe they're like, well, we don't want to insult people's intelligence. No one's going to be insulted. Just do give certain professional answers and try to keep things intact. Uh, I just, I don't, I mean, like even with big, big movies, you know, you got to wait a year, you know, well, at least you used to, you don't really do as much anymore. You had to wait a year for like the commentary, the director's commentary 
to like explain how he did everything on the DVD. But like that was a year later, you know, like you said, wait, give it a little time, you know, yeah, time. And I think, but pro wrestling is such a unique thing in being sports and entertainment and and physicality, and where you're, it's again the. It used to be the portrayal of a real fight was where now it's going more. This is art. This is art. It's different. Two different mindsets on it, and and I don't think I go by you go by the numbers. The numbers are nowhere near what it was when it used to be portrayed as a fight, and I don't I don't know. I just yeah. I no, just, I'm I look at it from both sides, and I get it. I just think not doing ourselves any favors sometimes doing that. There were some misses last night for their second event, uh, definitely. Yeah, though, no, they're going to have some. And I've, you know, actually listening to, uh, and I've done their podcast, the, the Keeping It 100 with Conan and Disco. And uh-huh. <laughs> I know Disco gets sometimes from people. But yes, he, yeah. had, he, but and he's, he's a funny guy. He lives here in Vegas. He, I, I love him. Uh, but I think he brings <laughs> up good points at times on different things, sometimes on like just asking questions about, different things and I I heard them talking about on a YouTube clip kind of you know the star element of AEW going forward with TV and I've talked about I'm really curious to see how people how many people are going to tune in over uh week after week and and watch this product and I, like I, I'm truly curious I don't know Me too and I we talked about it so but well, I, I think he brings know, up I, good points I sometimes. think you know I, he uh, <laughs> but then he ruins them with like stupid Terrible points. See, I like, haven't heard enough of it to where I where I've like I just will hear a little snippet and I go okay I see what he's talking about on that. Like, and, the whole thing was that like women like I remember there was a whole thing about like how women can't get over unless they're using unless they're using their sex to like get over and it was like well come on dude like it was like women need to dress sexier and skimpier and when he says things like that in yeah. 2019 it's like I know that he's coming from a good place yeah but he also is a troll and he like. He he mixes the two, you know, yeah. and he like then it's like, well, wait, which one am I dealing with right now? Like disco. He he is a nice guy. Like, yeah. Like, you know, I've gotten into it on that show so many times. And then like, I, I need to hear this. And then we like met. We saw each other in person at like one of the things. And he came, couldn't have been a nicer guy. That's my what I'm saying. Yeah, he's super my, nice. Was standing in the corner like seething mad next to him because like she had also talked on the phone and just she was on their show once and who was this my girlfriend okay hated disco and really? was so like such a sexist piece of you gotta be really careful because like i remember back when i got back when because they took things and we were talking about the, the the glow or the women of wrestling that show on netflix yeah, but I was talking about, and I think it comes down to personal preference. But you got to be able to, like, I understand women wanting to go and just wrestle, like, and that—that's you need to do that. But it's like a balance of everything else, like male talent, because there are a portion when you're talking about casual viewers that where they want to see the sexiness. Where you got women that watch wrestling just to watch men wrestle in the their trunks and the the, the skimpy outfits. You have men that watch that aren't watching to watch the wrestling matches. They just want to see hot women. So it's like a really fine line. You got to be careful how you. He's given his personal what he thinks is maybe missing on somebody. He's not saying probably everybody needs to be like that. No, but, he did. Oh, okay, so yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm considering how you got to like. That's why I was mad because I talked about it in more detail, and I felt like they they took where I said like Ryback says women need to like slap their asses or something like it was. 
Something was taken out of context of the whole. It was cover. something about Charlotte. It was like wasn't her like the ladder or something? Oh, it was like yeah. the ladder match. No, it was a Snapchat of me joking because Charlotte. I was walking my dogs and came in, and Charlotte and the girls' match was on TV, and I was already getting from people by something that was taken that wasn't in the whole context, and so. Me being sarcastic and funny, I go, don't you dare go to that turnbuckle, Charlotte. Don't you dare go do a maneuver. Something like where like that, then somebody videoed that and put that, that it was me being serious of like saying Charlotte shouldn't be wrestling or something. And I go, again, and it just added to everything. I was just like, <laughs> people didn't understand my sarcastic sense of humor of me making fun of what was something, not Charlotte, but yeah, it was, uh, but I had explained it more thoroughly on how it's a balance of all of that. And some yeah. women do need to play up to that a little bit. And like, it's like Melina when Melina would come out and do the splits and give her, but I understand. Well, Scarlett Bordeaux is a good example of it. Scarlett Bordeaux yeah. did that and, uh, or Bordeaux and, and, and at impact. And she definitely became one of the most over talents there. So yeah. it's not like, it's not like he's completely wrong. It's just the way he says it yeah. sometimes it's like, God, but I just remember my girlfriend was standing there next to me just giving me the meanest look while I was talking to Disco yeah. the whole time. And, I, and it's one of those, this is where it comes down to, it depends on the female talent and what they're going for and what they want. And again, if you're going for a serious thing, it's like women fighting in the UFC. If you're, they're going and they're competitors and that's what they're portraying, they don't have to do that because that's not what they're going for. And that's an individual preference. Whereas you might have somebody like Scarlett that's going to go out there and play it up and, the, and reap the benefits of those men loving her regardless of what she does wrestling. Yep, so yep, it's a totally. personal preference. That's why I think at pro wrestling, it comes down to, again, that whole balance thing of kind of having a little bit of something for everybody. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's why um, I'm I, like you. I'm interested to see how uh, AEW toes that line because I do think that they need to uh, – it, it's going to be interesting to see how they cater to all markets because I don't know if they're necessarily catering to like all markets right now, even though they have a very – diverse roster right now they're a very specific fan base and so they definitely need to expand from that for sure absolutely it's early and we'll give them time and let hopefully i think everybody's polling for them that's not no no question i think it comes where you do have to ask questions and look at things and those questions will be answered as tv starts rolling around and and whatnot so yeah so fingers crossed for october i think it'll be much better i think they're just they're 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 obviously like you said learning lessons you know they're along the way absolutely and just give it time and we'll see yep. what, what happens with all All right, well, that's all I got on my end for for, for today. Good deal, Ryan. Anything you want to go ahead and plug to wrap up? Just ProWrestlingSheet.com. That's my website. That's where you can find all the top stories throughout the week in the world of professional wrestling, at Wrestling Sheet on social media, YouTube.com slash C slash Wrestling Sheet. That's where you can find all the videos that I do. Uh, we got Wrestling Sheet Radio on Thursdays. We've got uh, the Ron Smackdown recap show that I do with my co-host, John Roca. And if you want to listen to that via podcast, just search Wrestling Sheet Radio on all the major podcast platforms. Good deal, Ryan. Thank you as always. And guys, we're going to be right You've back heard us talk after about these messages. Good foods before on the podcast and just how much I love their real good pizzas and enchiladas. Now Real Good Foods also has their new poppers, which are a super low-carb cross between a chicken nugget and a jalapeno popper. All of their foods are low-carb, grain-free, gluten-free, and keto-friendly. Most items have as low as 3 to 4 grams of carbs per serving. From their chicken crust pizza, enchiladas, cauliflower crust pizzas, snack bite pizzas, and poppers, you can't go wrong with anything from Real Good Foods. 
All items are available at realgoodfoods.com, on Amazon, and in retail locations all over the country, with a store locator on their website. Save 10% with discount code RYBACK off of realgoodfoods.com. Real Good Foods. Feed me more. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's the big guy, Ryback. And I want to talk to you about Fuel Meals, my personal meal prep service I've been using for years. Meal prep at your doorstep. Fuel Meals at fuelmeals.com has something for everybody. An easy way to eat healthy in this fast-paced life we are all living. Whenever I'm in a pinch, I go to my Fuel Meals and I love it. I love to eat real food, but the fact is I can't cook for every single meal of the day. So Fuel Meals come in handy for me when I need it most, and I think it could help you too. Tell them the big guy sent you and use discount code the big guy to save 15%. Fuelmeals.com. Feed me more. Summer is approaching fast, and now is the time to not only get your diet on track, but also stock up on Feed Me More Nutrition. You can save 20% with discount code PODCAST20. Whether you're looking for long-lasting clean energy with our Wake Up Unlimited Energy, available in pink lemonade and our new green apple, melting fat off of Shell Shock Extreme Fat Burner, or getting a great night's rest with our powerful all-natural GTS Go to Sleep. Feed Me More Nutrition has you covered with seven different products that contain no artificial colors or sweeteners and use more natural ingredients that work synergistically to give you the results you deserve. Available on FeedMeMore.com and Amazon. Feed Me More. All right, we're back. I'm back, guys. And uh, this week, really Doug talking to Ken Shamrock. And uh, what a great guy. Can't thank him enough for coming on the show. Such an inspirational, motivational, just positive guy. I, I, I loved uh, our discussion that we were able to have our conversation. And I, I hope you guys are able to get some stuff out of it and uh, give Ken a follow there on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, with that, I do want to go ahead and give a big thank you to our sponsors of Conversation with the Big Guy Ryback as we continue to grow. Blue Chew. Blue Chew is back on board. So big welcome back to Blue Chew. You guys, you guys can actually save. Go to bluechew.com. You can save. You don't have to pay anything. Don't have to pay anything at all, guys. Just use discount code Ryback. That's bluechew.com. B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W. Bluechew.com. Use promo code Ryback. And you only pay $5 for shipping. It's like Viagra and Cialis, guys. But it's discreet. There's no, it's an on, you deal with an online physician, you're in and out, it's quick, and it's effective. I personally, I can tell you guys, big double thumbs up from the big guy, bluechew.com, promo code Ryback. On that Real Good Foods, big thank you to them, realgoodfoods.com, you can actually save 15% with discount code Ryback. You got their cauliflower pizza. I have personally tried it. Absolutely love it. It's amazing. You got to check out their cauliflower pizza. They got the the keto-friendly uh, enchiladas, the real good pizzas. They got the, the jalapeno poppers and different flavors on those. They have the breakfast sandwiches. I have personally tried all of them. They've sent them to me. I've bought them. I bought Real Good Foods pizza and enchiladas for 
two years before I ever did any business with them. So it's, like I said, it's much like the Zevia thing with that when it comes to food and things of that nature. Uh, I'm really digging what they're doing. And you could save 15% with realgoodfoods.com with discount code Ryback. BetOnline.ag, welcome back to the mix as well. FuelMeals, FuelMeals.com, save 15% with discount code the big guy, and then Feed Me More Nutrition, all my all-natural supplement lines, sweetened with stevia and monk fruit. Uh, no artificial colors, no aspartame, no sucralose, no artificial colors, no artificial sweeteners. FeedMeMore.com, available on Amazon as well. FeedMeMore.com, save 20% on the website with discount code PODCAST20. I'm a little bit out of it today, guys. I'm not going to lie. The, the honey Jack Daniels kicked my ass yesterday. And uh, I'm no young buck anymore, I guess you could say. The, uh, well, I did also drink, as I told Ryan, I did drink half a, uh, half a bottle of the honey, the big bottle of the honey jack, and had a hell of a time. Hell of a time. But, uh, and I woke up, no hangover, but I do feel like it has is, it is slowed the big guy down a little bit today, and I got to go do a monster back workout on this here as I'm pulling up the bet online. Uh, read here for you guys as I'm pulling that up. I do want to give some information on betonline.ag. They have been great to us here at Conversation with the Big Guy, Ryback. Just go to clnsmedia.com slash Ryback and use CLNS50, guys, betonline.ag, your one-stop shop for online sports betting. No matter, I'm not a big better. I'm just straight up and honest, but... I, I'm all for it. I live in Las Vegas. I live in Sin City. And obviously, uh, lots of people do love betting. And go to betonline.ag, guys. They're a great company. They're your one-stop shop. And uh, that's all I got to say about that. Moving on this week. Moving on as we come to the conclusion of this week's podcast. We uh, The top three last week, we did the top, my top three favorite cheat foods. This week, I'm going to do my top three most influential books. The big guy's top three of the week uh, on my life personally. And uh, if you've heard me talk before, these are probably not going to come by any surprise. But for people tuning into Ryback TV or this podcast for the first time, which we have many new listeners, so thank you guys. Go back. Please listen to the archives. We have some really fascinating guests on the show as well. From doctors to people in health and fitness, we had Thomas DeLauer on talking uh, about the keto diet, intermittent fasting. Um, just such an intelligent guy on all of that. Uh, we had the anabolic doc, Dr. Thomas O'Connor, had a great discussion uh, about steroids and different things of heart testing and things for for men's health. Uh, that just so much information. We've had a lot of great wrestlers on this podcast, and we're gonna have many, many more. We got I got Chris Bell coming up next week. Uh, at Big Strong Fast on Instagram, the brother of, of Mark Bell. He's made the movie Bigger, Stronger, Faster, uh, uh, A Leaf of Faith, and amongst other Netflix uh, movies. Just super smart guy. He's a big, big believer in the carnivore diet. He's posting a lot of great content, a lot of great information, and uh, we had a great discussion. So I'm looking forward for you guys to hearing that one. We got Phoenix Marie coming back. Uh, Phoenix, we're going to have her come in studio. And uh, Phoenix will be, be doing an interview with me here. Kind of the rise of Phoenix, just for a one time having her on. Catch everybody up. She was, she was very popular 
on this podcast and, and helped me tremendously for a long time there after the uh, initial podcast with everything that went down with that. So it'll be great to get Phoenix back on and catch up and, and have a good conversation with her. And, and a lot of other great guests. We've got some scheduling people left and right now doing these interviews. And it, it takes up a lot of my time, but it's well worth it. And I think you guys, hopefully, the feedback we're getting on these conversations is that you guys are digging them. So uh, if you're digging them, I'm digging them because I, I truly enjoy talking to different people. My top three, though, guys, top three influential, most influential books on my life. Number one, no surprise, The Secret by Rhonda Byrne. Um, just book uh, really introduced me back into the world of uh, positive thinking, The Law of Attraction. It opened me up to many, many, many more books. I think it's a great starting point that if you're somebody that is uh, very down, very negative, uh, you need to become more aware, uh, self-aware of your negative thoughts the book, The Secret, is the perfect introduction into this world, of, especially in this day and age with the negativity that's all around us. Book number two, Conversation with God by Neil Donald Walsh. This is a non-religious book. There's Conversation with God 1, 2, and 3. I highly recommend all of them. I recommend any book by Neil Donald Walsh. He's actually in The Secret as well uh, with numerous other authors that Rhonda brought in for the culmination of that book and made that book such a success. This guy, Conversation with God, really, really, for me, opened me up to this conversation that he has with God that will make you really, really think about life. Uh, And for me, uh, a very powerful thing I got out of that book, uh, there is no right or wrong, there is only what we believe. And uh, that really, really resonated with me amongst many other things in this book. But it had a drastic endpoint of my life for me to start questioning things and to look into things and and seeking information at a much deeper level. Um, So I I highly recommend Conversation with God, guys, as, as my second book. And these are in no particular order. They're just kind of when they came into my life. Secret first, Conversation with God. The next book, you've heard me talk about it, The Energy Codes by Dr. Sue Mortar. Uh, she was a guest. Check her out on the archives. She was just on a few weeks back. I, I again, super positive, influential woman. Just amazing, an amazing mind, amazing brain, an amazing soul. Just amazing energy. Her book showed up in my PO box a couple months back and drastically has changed my life and made me realize that that as positive as I am and is in. It kind of, I found that I was being negative in some areas of my life. I had some negative people around me. I had to make some changes. And that book really, really, really opened me up to that and made me realize that our energy, that and sometimes you get in the habit of, oh, I'm positive. I understand this law of attraction. I know I'm positive. It's okay to be negative sometimes. And, but that stuff can get out of control pretty quickly. And I think sometimes that's a mistake. A lot of people that are positive make they're like, well, I am positive. I, I could also be negative and talk negative. But I think this book for me really woke me up and kind of adjusted my thinking to becoming even more self-aware of everything I'm talking about, what I'm putting out, that if it even remotely has anything negative in it, it's not going to serve me. It's not going to do me any, any good. And it's only going to make that energy grow further in that direction. And, and I, I cleaned up my life on a lot of areas here that were, I feel like holding me back a little bit. And since doing that, nothing but great has happened for me the last four to six weeks uh, of just truly becoming more self-aware. And, you know, just because we're positive 90% of the time, it's not okay to be negative 10% of the time. 
it's it's not it, for me anyways i found it to make a drastic difference just of cleaning up my brain and again people around me and things that i feel like uh, holding me back a little bit and uh you got to you got to you got to look in the mirror and uh that book allowed me to do that so that guys the energy coach by dr sue mortar are my top 3 uh most influential books uh, of my life so check those out if you uh if you get time i think they could help you as well my motivational the big guy right back my thought of the week motivational thought of thought of thought of thought of thought of i don't want to i shouldn't say that's kind of motivational i don't want to this is my motivational tip of the week i'm not I, i'm a little different i'm no tony robbins or guys i'm a I'm a blend of a lot of different people. I just try to be myself and try to give you guys some information of stuff that's maybe helped me. And uh, if it can help some of you, then great. I'm not uh, on a soapbox or anything. I'm a fucking regular guy like all everyone out there, just uh, constantly trying to improve myself and whatnot and understand people and, and grow and evolve uh, as, as we all maneuver our way through this thing we call life. Uh, the ability to focus. <clears throat> guys, on ourselves, the ability to focus on ourselves, uh, the betterment of ourselves. Uh, it's just such a key thing to me moving forward in this day and age. Focus has always been uh, the name of the game and been something that is extremely important, especially in trying to find success in anything in life, uh, and no matter what we do. And we live in a day and age where technology, social media, or cell phones, people, emails, the media, everyone's trying to distract us. Everyone's trying to take our time. Family, friends, it's so many different things, and especially with technology and cell phones, we have so many options, guys, that we really, really, really have to be self-aware, and we have to know what we, what we want, and we have to be able to focus, because if we don't, life will pass us by so quickly, watching other people doing other things and not really making any real progression in our lives. And for me, I think the people in 2019 moving forward, those of us that are able to focus the best will be able to have the most success and the most happiness, I believe. I, I just truly, it's something, I'm, I'm always constantly battling, battling this and, and putting my phone away and not letting it control me and, and doing things. That's why I love, I love doing this show and not being on my phone, just focusing on the task at hand. When I, I do my stock courses, you know, when I'm doing my cardio and I'll go 20, 30, 40, you know, 45 minutes of watching these courses, sometimes an hour, and not letting anything distract me and whatnot, because, and you got emails, it's because it's so easy to, you know, the moment I tell people, the moment I wake up, I try not, I don't look at my phone. Sometimes I do because I'm just overwhelmed with stuff. But a lot of the times consciously, I won't look at my phone until I get up and I get situated. I take the dogs outside. I get my breakfast cooking. I get everything all done. And then I sit down and I start my day. I'll usually eat my food and get everything and, and start sipping on my wake up limited energy. Then buckle down focus because what happens is I open my phone and it's emails and, and, and Instagram direct messages, just stuff can't even keep up with on all that and things going on, stocks, investments, different things. Just I all have 10, 11, 12 things pulling me, you know, different things. I got all these orders coming in and I got to literally just buckle down and sort everything, arrange everything, and then take the task at hand and focus and move my way, maneuver my way through the day. 
and have a, my game plan on how I'm going to attack my day because the busier you get, the more you have to do that because otherwise things just kind of start stacking up because, you know, again, it's our health. There's so much with focus, you know, from, from you, we have this world wants to take our focus. They want us to be distracted. Everything, we got people, you know, with, with, with nicotine companies, smoking, fast food, like our health. People are like, there's just so many things trying to distract us. People trying to make money off of us in so many different ways that we have to be self-aware and truly, truly, truly focus in a world that wants nothing more than to distract us. We must love ourselves. Guys, I can't stress this enough. We have to love ourselves first and foremost and know that that we care enough about ourselves that we, we are going to be able to focus and try to better ourselves. Because if we don't, I'm telling you, we get distracted, we get lost, and uh, no good really comes from that. So... Love yourself, and uh, in order, to, I, I truly believe this, in order to truly help others, uh, we have to be able to focus in, on ourselves and love ourselves first and foremost. So that's something that's helped me. That's my thought of the week. Uh, if that information can help you, uh, great. And it's just, uh, just constantly trying to get better on all that. With that, guys, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up this week's show. And uh, I got I got to meet up with Dr. Bo Hightower today. We're going to actually have him on the podcast as well. Badass chiropractor that works on a lot of the UFC guys. And he's on Dr. Bo Hightower on Instagram. He's uh, a wizard. And he came highly recommended by Mark and Chris Bell to me. So looking forward to He's going to work on my back and shoulder today. And uh, we're going to record that, actually. So that content will be coming up as well on my social media pages. Cue up that classical music editor, Mike. For all fan mail, please send to P.O. Box 752740, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89136, guys. A big thank you to Wiretap Radio, CLNS Media, a wrestling historian on Twitter and Instagram, the wrestling classic on Twitter and Instagram. Feed Me More Nutrition, available on feedmemore.com and Amazon, 20% with discount code PODCAST20. Fuelmeals.com, save 15% with discount code the big guy. Cameo.com slash the big guy Ryback for personal videos by myself where you can send in whatever birthday present, uh, anniversary, holiday, anything for your kids, motivation. Uh, send that in through cameo.com slash the big guy Ryback. And I leave customized videos. I've thank you guys for everyone that's left five star reviews. Everybody has. And it's greatly appreciated. I take great pride in those in trying to give you exactly what you want and give you your money's worth on all of those. Follow us on YouTube, guys. Please subscribe. Smash that subscribe button on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Ryback TV. No more Feed Me More channel. It's now everything Ryback TV. YouTube.com slash Ryback TV to watch this podcast with our guests, with everything on YouTube to watch clips of the show. You don't want to sit down and listen to the whole thing. We have clips for you coming out all week with this, coming coming out on Monday every week and being fed out all the way up till Thursday, Friday, at times on different topics uh, and conversations from this show that we think you guys are going to like. Wake Up, It's Feeding Time, my motivational book available on Amazon in paperback and audible Kindle formats. In social media, I am at the big guy Ryback22 on Instagram. Feed me more nutrition and conversation with the big guy on Instagram. Our conversation with the big guy account is still inactive on Instagram. Hopefully, they're going to get it fixed. I'm beyond frustrated. We're not going to stress. We're not going to. We're not going to talk about our problems as far as that goes. But hopefully, if you guys click in on that, it's been inactive 
for a few weeks now, and I, I'm truly apologize. It's to nothing. We, we did nothing wrong. They said we were impersonating. I was impersonating myself. It's my account. They know it's my account. We're just waiting for them to, to make it active again. So please bear with us on that. I'm Ryback22 on Twitter. Feed me more nutrition on Facebook and Ryback247 on Snapchat. Thank you guys for listening. Listening. You've just listened to another episode of Conversation with the Big Guy, Ryback. Feed me more. with the big guy Ryback. Subscribe, like, rate, comment.